Hello, beautiful people. It is Tuesday, June 21st, 2022, and this sports show with massive breaking news starts now. Let's ride. That's right. Uh, big news coming out of the NFL right before we went live here at youtube.com forward slash the Pat McAfee show and Sirius XM channel 82 Mad Dog Sports Radio. Mad Dog up for a Hall of Fame. Oh, hey, let's go. Mad Dog. Let's go, Mad Dog. Been on ready for a long time. Congratulations. Breaking news before we came live on air. We found out via Ari Mirov's Twitter account. Deshaun Watson has settled 20 of 24 cases against him uh, going into the season here now. We don't know what the settlement price is. We have no idea what happened with the other four, why they did not settle. And I also thought there was 26. So is there two missing from that? Or did we just have stats and facts wrong until this was kind of put out? So all but four have been settled uh, for Deshaun Watson, which you would have to think this would be good news for Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns when just like 10, 15 years ago, the entire world would probably say, oh, settlement means worst possible news for the person doing the settlement. Now we're in a world, I believe, and I might be misreading the entire thing, but now we're in a world where it's like, okay, we've seen this happen before. Does this mean he's definitely guilty? Mm, something probably, probably happened. Uh, did, he, did it mean that it was going to end up going to court and was all of them going to get guilty pleas on it? Maybe. Who knows with the evidence and everything that was happening before. So I think the truth will obviously be out there for a long, long time for us to find and pick through. But there has already been a narrative painted that we all will judge Deshaun Watson. Vastly different, I believe, going forward. But I think the NFL appreciates this move. I think the Cleveland Browns will appreciate this move. I bet you Browns fans will appreciate this move. And to be honest, as a society, it was getting you know every new piece of information that was coming out it was just like getting more and more heartbreaking almost like yeah. I can't believe this is happening to somebody in the biggest league on earth and they, they did this and they're getting the biggest contract in the NFL so I don't know how this came to be we don't know why this didn't happen like a year and a half ago when everybody would have expected this to happen we don't know why the alternative was chose where we would learn all this stuff and we don't know what happened with the other four cases that are still pending and ongoing with a civil trial happening I believe starting in March of 2023 or something like that. Yeah. That is where the current thing is. So massive news coming out of this Tuesday, June 21st, uh, at Ty Schmidt, at Boston Connor. Tone Diggs is here as well. Tone, I'll lead off with you, pal. What does this do for uh, the rest of the AFC North? What does this mean for the pending suspension? And how long do you think this is in the works for? Uh, maybe two years, <laughs> I, what I was doing at this point. Great question on what it does uh, for the AFC North north um i think we won't know until the suspension comes down whether it's how six games eight games maybe a year whatever um but as far as the suspension goes i think it's good or it's good for the nfl because i think no new information is going to be coming out or anything like that they're not going to get blindsided by anything you would think so like they're not going to give a suspension and then someone something else is going to come out where they look horrendous for for if it was too little or too much or whatever. So I think it maybe gives the NFL maybe a clearer picture on the suspension. Okay, maybe, I would think. But also with four still happening, what does that mean? Ari Mirov has another update. The terms and amounts of the settlements will remain confidential. Okay. Um, <coughs> NDA, remember, allegedly in the past there was almost a um, an agreement, but Deshaun Watson 
didn't wanted to be able to speak about it yes. right. as opposed to not being able to speak about yeah. it because he has contended his innocence since the very beginning. So the terms and amounts of the settlements will remain confidential. Busby adds that the first plaintiff, Ashley Solace, and three other plaintiffs are continuing to move forward. The NFL's investigation is also still ongoing. Okay, so the original um, filer uh, to Busby says, I'm going to keep going. We're already come this far. There's been a lot of information that's been learned. I think at this point, a lot of people that have heard some of the information and stories that I have believe he is, you know, a predator, so she's going to keep going. Yep. Will this also end up as a financial settlement in the end? Who knows, but... This has been something that the NFL world has been waiting on for like a year now. We thought it would have come much sooner. Them fighting and fighting and fighting, and then us hearing Rusty Harden go on the radio two weeks ago and say, well, you know, actually, if you go in there and get your massage and you happen to explode children from your penis, sure. but you don't pay any extra for that particular act, it's just a part of the massage. And what you did, sir, is not illegal. No, no. And although people might morally dis disapprove, but legally that is and that is not a problem at all. And everybody heard that and was like, this is what Jesus the defense has me. been this entire time. This has been what it is. It almost made the whole situation worse. So I wonder if because Deshaun was so adamant about his innocence and not doing anything, plus his uh, lawyer who's never lost, I don't think, in Texas. Yeah, I think he no. has like a never lost something along, like something absurd like that, is saying now, Deshaun, you're telling me that was there ever a time where you guys said, all right, give you a little whoop-de-woo, that'll be an extra 35 to 40 bucks, anything like that? Deshaun was like, nope, yep. it was always everything in there. He's well, fuck, yeah, I'll defend We're good. Yeah. We're good. Yeah, too. We ain't taking a settlement either. Fuck, yeah. we are doing this entire thing. And as soon as he came public and everybody was like, what are you talking about? He was like, oh, we got to get a, all right, we got to settle this thing, okay? Because maybe my defense is going to have a little crack in it every once in a while because that might have been an already agreed to term beforehand that I might not have even referred to. Whatever the case, I think it's because the lawyer started getting some heat, right? Mm -hmm. And then every day it felt like it just kept going. At this point, I think um, Sue Robinson, the new third-party judge for the NFL, yeah. that is the person who's going to hear the hearing from the NFLPA defending Deshaun Watson and how much his penalty should be in the NFL, uh, laying down the case for what Deshaun Watson's penalty should be, and then she takes in all that information, then she calculates a punishment, then she tells Roger Goodell what she thinks the punishment should be, then Roger Goodell can add to it or subtract from it, mm -hmm. is in the readings. Like, uh, Goodell can take away from the recommended penalty or add to the recommended penalty. It's like, okay, so Sue is just a recommendation. This is not a ruling. Well, the ruling, she does make a ruling because the case is the NFLPA versus the NFL, but they're going to a judge that ultimately doesn't have any of the power. So that is quite a yeah, interesting. That's an interesting thing. But Sue here is now. Does this? How does this make her view the entire situation versus how it doesn't? She's a former federal judge. She's obviously been there, done that with this whole thing. What's her recommendation going to be? And that's that's what all eyes are sitting on. Everybody's assuming it's going to be like right before July Fourth, right there. Mm -hmm. they're, they're thinking like July second, probably when this news is going to come out. Well, that is what the interesting part. Cause, I mean, when you look at that, it's like in terms of the suspension, like you mentioned, like his. I don't think any. I think any. Everyone's kind of on the same page with Deshaun. Watson at this point you know yes. like there was kind of some gray area but like do you think that him settling and we it might be bullshit but the NFL said they were looking for a season suspension like does how much does this impact I don't know. you know like I really don't I think the damage is kind of already done and granted it's not like a personal thing for Sue Robinson or anything but like all settlements the, are just viewed interestingly now 
than maybe back whenever back in the day. It, it you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, settlements were happening, but they were never broadcasted because there was only like what six channels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were picking and choosing what was mm-hmm. happening. And then as the settlement, we kind of got baptized into the oh settlements happen type thing. Not just in this type of situation, by the way. In a lot of business situations, settlements are happening like at all times, and it used to just automatically be an announcement of defeat almost. Mm-hmm. I feel like we have a different view upon it now, but in this case, I don't think anybody. You know what I mean? No, no. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody. Whereas if he if he would have settled from the, the beginning, beginning, then, then it would be in that situation. But now it is to the point where the everything's out of the bottle. Like it's you know I don't think anyone's still thinking. Oh, you know, tough for Deshaun Watson. Like, I think it's kind of universal how everyone feels about What happens at stadiums, you think, whenever he's... He's going to be terrible. Yeah, brutal. Terrible. He's going to get eviscerated. I mean, we saw what happened with Big Ben, and this wasn't even close to the extent. 2010 was when uh, the Big Ben stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And, I'm, you know, we talked about this Mm -hmm. last week. People are coming after us for talking about this Deshaun Watson case. And, where were you when Big Ben was going on? Well, I was in the league. Yeah. I don't know how old Connor was. He was was in college. We didn't have a show (laughs) yet. Like, I wish wish we did. We would have chatted about it. But the day he retired, 12 years later, I mean, you're talking about hashtag big rape was trending. Oh, yeah. So everybody's talking about nobody really gave Ben his. No, people did. This is one of those things where when this type of thing happens in your life, your life is going to be different forever. Whenever you put yourself in a situation where this happens, your life is going to be different forever. And I guess Deshaun has just had to got to a point mentally where he's going to get past it. He he obviously just tries to, I don't know if he isolates himself or somehow, but forever this is going to be talked about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Cleveland Browns are going to have to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like the dog pond. Mm-hmm. Now, the, I guess the only other alternative is what? He would have gone to 26 civil trials and won them all. Is that what? Which is that what they were going to think about? That's what they were thinking about doing from the beginning. Starting in March, though, so it would be the first one in March, possibly going for the next three. Not settling though. So them choosing not to settle as the cases were mounting was was it like we'll go to we'll go to court? Yeah, everyone in the courtroom every time. Twenty six. 26 was that the thought they were going to do as it was continuing to come out maybe like all right it's 15 remember because yeah. it was coming like yeah, yeah. it was coming like it's at 15 well we'll do 15 cases 16 yeah i'll sit there 16 sure. each one of them probably six weeks long start doing the math that's a few years you're gonna be doing it yeah yeah, yeah anything for my innocence or whatever 18 mm-hmm. 20 21 22 lost four 18 up four more 22 23 24 26 and then in the New York Times, they're 66 in 17 months, they're saying. Yeah. So was his plan from the beginning just going to be – like settlement was the only option at any – right? Settlement was the only yeah. option. Yes. Feels. And did it get to And did it get to a point where someone was like, hey, Deshaun, in public eye, I don't, already know, guilty I don't know if anything's going to change if you go through – and you talk about him laying low and the dog pound and stuff like that. He did say that he went out to the movies and some Cleveland Browns fans bought him, him and his uh, girlfriend or wife or whatever, some big – big things of popcorn so like they're all they're behind okay them. okay have some popcorn pal you've yeah. been through enough you'll be all right you're a cleveland brown now it's about to get worse yeah <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking four is still a lot i feel like we're probably desensitized by the number being 26 or 24 for as long as it was but even to sit through four trials in one summer is okay. a lot so johnny depp amber heard was about six weeks yep. and they had a recess in there because how long yeah, yeah. that's right fire their pr firm and, and I, yeah well both i think amber, yeah, did, amber or, did yeah, yeah amber did in the middle of that thing but Whenever is that the standard for those? So you start doing the math, no that's twenty four weeks. That's what? Half, six half a year. Six yeah. months. It's your off season. And that's just if the courts just so happen to be able to line those up concurrently. Yeah. I don't understand how 
the settlement thing didn't happen much. I, I don't know what the were, were they just going to do it? Just every and the lawyers like, oh yeah, we'll go. Court. That's a lot of two years hours. You kidding? Yeah. Me? Two years straight. We'll go for three <laughs> years straight. We'll yeah. go. Every single one of them will go. Don't you worry about that. We'll get you on the other side of that. You'll be out of your prime in football. You won't be able to play football anymore. But you, there will be some people that think you're innocent because they paid attention to three years worth of it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what other option there ever was at this point. It doesn't feel like there was any. And now do you think that any of the – if there are a similar case where one of the 66 times you got a massage in the last 17 months, like there might alleged. be – Alleged. There might be other people that come forward now because if they see that he's settling, it's like, oh, okay, maybe there's oh. a chance that, you know, I could either continue on with the lawsuit like the other four or I could at least state my case on how I felt. Because I assume some were probably still scared. This is just like, and I don't mean to bring this up because this person has moved past this and is a much better place now. But when Tiger was going through his thing, remember, yes. yeah. Denny's waitresses were coming out. Right. Exactly. It was like every, yeah. <laughs> it was like every, every day. Every yeah. cranny. Every day. Yeah. Somebody, well, at a gas station one time, we stopped to get our <laughs> yeah. hands washed in. He, and it was like, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. At the time, it is. It is interesting. You're right, though. We hope everybody learns from this whole thing. Uh, I hope uh, the world is a better place now. And those four, that is a lot. That is a lot to still unpack. Who knows how it plays out. Deshaun Watson makes a decision here that everybody would have expected a year or two ago. But what will Sue Robinson recommend the judge? Yeah, exactly. Roger Goodell now. I don't know. What, what do you think the NFLPA is even talking down? Like, huh? Do you think the NFL is just going in full season and they're just going to go from there? Yeah, so what – I don't know enough about how court cases go. I did watch Judge Judy for a good amount of time. Sure. Mm-hmm. Normally one of those things is, I need 2000 bucks for blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm not paying it all. And Judge goes, actually, you know what? It's going to be $800 because that is the actual amount that you would need, blah, blah, blah. You go in there. I wonder if that's the game plan. That's why the NFL is going in for a full season. And the NFLPA is like, no, just going for a fine. And then they'll be battling against each other the entire time. And then Judge Sue Robinson swings the, the hammer and says, here's my recommendation. And then walks that thing up to Roger Goodell. Yeah. Because their whole ar- argument is like the Robert Kraft situation and some of the other situations with like the. Well, I'm happy you brought that up because I didn't want to bring up everybody's transgressions yeah, in the exactly. past, but there is some precedent of what happened in the NFL when something not, by the way, 26 mm-hmm. is vastly different yes. than a lot of things that have happened in the past, but that's a lot of very serious allegations. I do not want to be in the chair that has to rule yeah, on that because no matter what you do is going to be wrong. You give one season and there's uh, people that aren't happy about it. You think he should be able to come back next season. But, you know, like, yeah. I mean, there is not a right answer in this at all. And all eyes are on the dog pound as they have promised him $1 million in salary next year. And we'll find out here in, what, 10 days? One, $1 million dollars. Is his salary next year? Yeah. I wonder what they thought the suspension was going to be. Yeah. That's just a pretty, that's a pretty like, okay, so this one is $1 million. It's for the salary cap, obviously for Mm -hmm. the salary cap. Mm -hmm. Then the next year it jumps to like 50 million or 40 million or something. Then the next year after that, after that. So, you know, everybody knows suspension or game checks. Like that's kind of. Yeah. That's what you're missing out on. Mm-hmm. Well, and they were privy oh, to the stuff that wow. he wrote to them, right? Because wasn't that what we talked about last week where he actually like had a statement to the Browns about what there possibly could come of this and how many there possibly could be, and that was kind of where if he wasn't honest with them, they could just void his entire salary. And then, has, well, and then Andrew Brandt told us that his insight has said this year and the next year the contract are basically locked in regardless, no matter what you just said. Yeah. I guess the, the last two or three years had the ability to be opted out of that. 
Will we see Deshaun Watson play football in the next two years? I think yes, right? Yeah. yeah. I, definitely. So because people were comparing it to the Ben Roethlisberger case, if you look at it, now this was granted 12 years ago, Ben had two accusations. One went to court in a civil suit and was settled, and he was suspended six games that was later reduced to four. So just simple math, he should probably get 12 times four. 48. Probably 48, 48, 48. games. Yeah. That feels about right to me. <laughs> They're never going to get it I don't right. know no. if he's going to play next year. They're, I don't think he's going to play this upcoming year. So then it's the Baker Mayfield, Jacoby Brissett situation. Yeah. $18.5 million guaranteed. And, you know, Josina Anderson said yesterday, is Baker willing to take a pay cut to go play somewhere else because that's what it's going to take? Or is he going to take his $18.5 million and just start for the Browns and make it uncomfortable? Maybe he won't be the starter. Maybe Jacoby Brissett will beat him out. Maybe he'll be the backup <laughs> yeah. for Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland. That is, that is quite a scene over there. Just a year removed from making the playoffs and beating Steelers in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the playoffs mm-hmm. yeah. after not winning forever. Mm-mm. Yeah, forever. Forever. Yeah, a year ago, we're talking about them going to the Super Bowl. Oh, well. Dog pound made dirt bed. (laughs) (laughs) Joining us now, joining us now is a man that uh, not only was so damn good on a football field, he made it to the NFL, was drafted in the sixth round, but that's after taking a year off, being an absolute sensation. He would go on to become a Rhodes Scholar. Wow. A neurosurgeon. Jeez. And go to Oxford while playing football for Florida State, the Tennessee Titans, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Harvard neurosurgeon, now author of the book, The 2% Way, How a Philosophy of Small Improvements Took Me to Oxford, the NFL, and Neurosurgery. It is out now. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Myron Roll. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, Doc, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Look at that. You got a goddamn book up over your shoulder, dude. Let's go. Hey, let's go. Look at you, man. This is, uh, could you have ever imagined all this? I mean, I assume at some point you had to, you know, have dreams and aspirations, which is why you worked your ass off and everything like that. But there's no way you could. I just read up. Did you hear me read off your accolades? That is, that is not what one human normally accomplishes, right? That's like a family. Yeah. That's like a, a town, not one human. Did you ever, could you ever imagine this doc? Could you have ever imagined it? You know, uh, probably not. Uh, my parents were incredible, incredible visionaries for me and my brothers coming from the Bahamas and, Really laying it out for us to say, look, if you want to achieve something great in this in this uh, in this country and in this world, uh, you need to focus on your school, focus on your education, be good citizens, good humans, and doors will open up for you. And as I matriculated through school, through life, through football, meeting different people, forming networks, immersing myself in culture, and trying to just be the best I possibly can be. Doors open up to write a book and to inspire people and to motivate and to mentor and now to do brain surgery uh, at Harvard here in Boston. So it's just been a phenomenal ride and uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, very grateful. Yeah, what you just said there. Yeah, to motivate people and inspire people <laughs> and write a book and do brain surgery. <laughs> yeah, like obviously. It's unbelievable. You're a special dude. I hope you... Uh, I hope you obviously remain humble because you are doing brain surgery, but I hope at some point you look in the mirror and say, I'm a badass motherfucker. Uh, And I'm intrigued by the book here, The 2% Way, How a Philosophy of Small Improvements Took Me to Oxford, the NFL, and Neurosurgery, out now. Uh, I read in the, 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 did you write this, this bio thing that I got? 
Yes. You, yes. Oh, yeah, wow. I knew it. Hey, this is one of the most... I don't read books, okay? Not my thing. I read a lot of tweets, though. So normally, <laughs> the type of language that I read and the word choices that I read, very elementary. I say, uh, uh, what's that reader's uh, scale? The uh, Scholastic uh, yeah, Accelerated, Accelerated, Accelerated Reader. Reader's Program. Yes. Normally, like third, fourth grade stuff. This thing, <laughs> one of the most well-written. I was oh, reading yeah. it aloud. Who'd you say? Did Spielberg yeah, fucking? Stephen King write this. Yeah, Stephen <laughs> King write this. It's unbelievably well put together. But here, how you found your 2% way that you've taken to your life. Um, it was from Florida State University defensive coordinator Mickey Andrews, and he's from the Bear Bryant tree. And he said, someone in Alabama or Clemson is working just as hard as you. I need you to be 2% better than them in some way. And you've kind of taken that to your entire life. One thing from a coach in practice, and you've taken it to your entire life. What does that mean? Because, you know, like the Colts right now are 1% better every day. I've heard people do the 2% better. How do you actually piece that together? Is that just mentally saying, I need to get a little bit better? But whenever you put in number on it how do you decide what the hell the number is and is that number changing literally every single day because two percent of something that is two percent added the day before is bigger than the two percent that was one week ago so i'm just need to figure this out for me uh this would be great if you could break it down for me myron because i've been wondering for some time now no i appreciate that. that's a really good question so you're right it started from coach andrews he was the uh, originator of this this thought this idea uh to all of my teammates he wanted us to get a little bit better every day in practice, whether it be uh, our stamina, our ability to disguise blitz packages, our ability to high point the football, whatever it was. He wanted us to get a little bit better and had those small incremental growths. Because if you get 100% better tomorrow, it's almost impractical. You know, No one really can do that. Uh, but so we wanted it to feel real, manageable, realistic. Uh. And so I took this, this thought process, brought it to life, as you mentioned. And now I use it in my professional life as a physician, my personal life as a father, as a husband, uh, my relational life, my spiritual life, just trying to stack the days and win each day. And so when we say 2%, the, the number two is not as important as just the manageable small bites that you take, right? Uh. If you can do something just a little bit better and just move forward just a little bit more, you focus more on your progress than your deficit. You focus more on your growth than what's going on around you. To me, it quiets down the background noise, allows you to focus and lock in to your purpose, your goal, whatever it is. You know, for, I wanted to always be a, a better neurosurgeon. I've always wanted to be a better community advocate. I've always wanted to be a better son, a better brother, a better husband to my wife. Doing all these things, but if, if I felt like I was rushing or out of pace by moving too fast, too soon, too quick, then I knew it wouldn't work. But if I just take small steps and self-reflect every day after each day and say, you know what? I did a little bit more today. I communicated a little bit better today. I read a little bit more today. I, uh, I prayed a little bit more today. I, I worked out a little bit more. Whatever the case may be, you look back a month, six months, a year from now, and you can see the growth you've made. You see the steps you've made, and you know you're a better version of yourself. So that's what you wrote about in this book, and we're excited to share it with everyone for I, sure. I can't wait for people to read it and learn about it because it gives people purpose too, doesn't it? I mean, whenever you uh, – Oh, no. Oh, uh, no. We oh, lost no. them. Oh, oh. Hey. Welcome back. <laughs> great to see you. Uh, yeah, was that the hospital? If somebody needs brain surgery right now, uh, we obviously understand. You would have been gone already because you're a great doctor. So you wouldn't even needed to uh, for us to say that. But I think having the 2% thing and then reflecting, it gives people purpose, right? It gives you like a goal. Because I think for friends of mine that have maybe got out of the NFL, and I don't know if it happens with doctors and stuff like that, but whenever they wake up with nothing, 
No agenda, no plan, no goal, no nothing. That's when everybody starts to spiral, right? So in the 2% way, also like a big advocate of like having a purpose with your day, accomplishing something, and really looking forward to things so that you can not worry about the lack of shit going on in your life and have not having any purpose almost. Fulfillment, I think, is really comes from it all. Fulfillment, reward, no question. We have these lobes in our brain, Pat. We have a frontal lobe, parietal, occipital, whatever. We also have a limbic lobe, right? And this limbic lobe is in front of is controls the reward system, right? So if you do something well, if you uh, achieve a goal, if you meet a task, if you accomplish something, you get these excitatory neurotransmitters to get released, make you feel really good, give you that euphoric feeling, and okay. even a small win. A small pat on the back, a small step forward is enough for you to feel real good and feel satisfied that you've made that reward, that you're driving through that purpose like you're speaking about. It gives your your, your days a sense of order and structure. And as you mentioned, guys who have finished playing, sometimes they lack that structure, lack that sort of focus in what's next for them. And so uh, having that 2% process that you can systematically walk through life and move forward in whatever you want to be, physician, uh, you know, outstanding entertainer, person personality, musician, (laughs) lawyer, law enforcement officer, whatever it may be, uh, you have the design to do it. You can do it well. And uh, and we really try to push that message through in this book. So we're fired up. Doc, that's awesome. I'm happy you're doing that for people, man. You're giving like an elite mind to people. You're breaking it down like, hey, this is how we become better humans as a whole. Hey, will you explain? Where's the medulla umbongata whenever you (laughs) were breaking that entire thing? Is that a real thing? It's a real thing. You got the medulla as part of your brainstem. That's the last part of your brainstem before your brain turns into your spinal cord. And it has a lot of different cranial nerves in there. It controls your ability to swallow, ability to, to speak. Uh, some of your major cortical spinal tracts run through there. So dude. it's a very important part of the brain for sure. Shout out to my medulla. Um, Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> um, how'd you find time to write this book? We were talking about this. Mm-hmm. When you're a brain surgeon, obviously your hours, I think they're very long. And then you get a couple of days off, then you're back on. Then you're back off. So in your off time, to spend time to write a book, I've heard from people writing a book is miserable. Now, I don't know if brain surgery is miserable as well or whatever the case, but how did you find time to do this? And are you a super regimented guy every single day? Is it like, uh, are you, are you? I don't want to say a robot, but are you pretty systematic with every single day like Mark Wahlberg and The Rock and them? Well, the blessings that, uh, that my program here at Harvard provide is that we have some time for research where we have no clinical responsibility for about a year or so. Uh, so during that time, I just I was over in Africa, in Zambia, doing pediatric neurosurgery. I went back home to the Bahamas, went to the Caribbean, uh, other parts, Guyana, Trinidad, uh, Montserrat, Antigua, uh, just help uplift neurosurgical care there. But that wasn't a you know 4 a.m. to 7 p.m. sort of work. And so it gave me some time to really just dedicate each day, maybe an hour or two hours, writing things down, putting pen to paper. And also, Pat, I wrote, wrote some of these um, stories that I mentioned in this book years ago. And I saved them on Word documents so when it was time to write a book, I could Spire. pull them and I could know what I had in front of me. And I was able to put it together that way. So I had a lot of support. And thankfully, I had a little bit of time with this research year and these elective years to sort of, uh, you know, really put my thoughts to be vulnerable on paper and uh, to hopefully inspire somebody. You know, I read books when I was younger. Ben Carson's book, Gifted Hands, it inspired me to want to do neurosurgery. He planted the seed of being a black neurosurgeon, and that really opened up the world for me, exposing me to that. Even knowing that Samari and Antrell and these other guys played football before me, I knew I wanted to get to the league, but I knew that wasn't the end goal. And so thinking about Dr. Carson's story, reading that in the fifth grade, knowing that unlocked my future, hopefully my book and others can 
can do that for some young person who may see themselves in my story. Man, hey, you're going to be president someday, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know that? That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. You're going to be a sitting president. <laughs> well, I can't, I guess. Born in the Bahamas? No. No. Uh -huh. Well, we'll change that. That'll yeah. be changed, hopefully. Need you as president someday. You just sound, everything you say, there's never a flaw, never a flub. And in this thing that you wrote to describe the book, we read through it. Great work writing that. I'd like to let you know we didn't disrespect your work writing that. You talked about how playing in front of like 70, 80,000 people has actually benefited you whenever you're doing brain surgery or whatever because the pressure that that has felt. Is that something that happens in the surgery world that maybe the doctors aren't ready for as much as somebody who has played in big time games? And how do normal surgeons get through that? And do, like, is that because when you mentioned that, I'm like, yeah, what happens if? A doctor has been to school for however many years it takes, however much money, and then they get there, and then in a the big moment, oh shit! You kind of mm -hmm. gotta be, you gotta be a clutch person. That that had uh, had to feel good that you kind of naturally just jumped in there. And did the nerves get you ever? And how do you calm those down? Yeah, it's it's a great point. You know, I think sports has helped me tremendously uh, in this walk of being a physician, and definitely the pressure aspects of it. You know, you get into the brain where uh, you have one millimeter to the left and you're in the speech center, one millimeter to the right, and you can affect how someone hears. No way, dude. I'm not fucking in there. I'm not. <laughs> no way, dude. Seriously, though. Seriously, I'm so sorry. You're just like in my head. I'm like, oh, you're just you literally just oh, this is somebody's life right here. Here you go. Go on. That, the amount of pressure that is is next level. I'm sorry I cut you off. I'm just no, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I mean the brain is a beautiful thing. And uh, one day you come to Harvard and you come to Boston. I'd love to take you to the hospital. You can yes. scrub into the case and you know we get some signed consent and uh, you can see the actual brain pulsating right in front of you. It's a beautiful thing. But yes, it is. It's life or death. It's right in front of you, and you know there's some very intricate structures that really can uh, take away someone's meaning, meaningful life and uh, their ability to function in daily life. So, uh, you know, when you're able to go back to your football days, when you're playing against Tim Tebow and the Florida Gators, you know, and, and they're driving on you and you think about, look, your back's on the wall, you're in the tight zone, you have to make this stop, you calm yourself down, take a few heartbeats, you know, relax yourself and go back to your fundamentals. It's the same sort of process that I've used now when we get into some bleeding or we get a little seizure during the case or maybe we nick a vessel that we shouldn't have. Calm down, go back to your fundamentals and remember that this patient on the table, they expect you to do well and perform at your optimum. So you have to save their life and do everything you can. Everyone in the room has to do that, not just you as a surgeon, scrub techs, anesthesia, circulating nurse. Everyone's got to be on the same page. It's a team environment. And so being a, an athlete uh, has certainly helped me now. Uh, being a physician, especially a neurosurgeon. Hell yes. That's uh, but just explaining. Now, this is the medulla oblongata right here. Okay. <laughs> this is, I do believe, if, you know, I don't, need, I don't need to go into the surgery room. If you guys want to send me a Harvard shirt, though, I'll wear it. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll wear it. This is the medulla oblongata right here, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Right over there. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. And then this is the, uh, which one of the, how come I'm always told that I'm only using like 20% uh, of my brain or something? Is that real? And how do I get the rest of it to fucking operate and stop being so lazy? And which part of it is being lazy, just so I know? <laughs> Are you right or left-handed? That's one question I got, Pat. Right-handed, but I, I bat lefty. True. That's right. I bat lefty in baseball, but I am right-handed. Okay, a little bit of everything. Well, your speech center is probably in the left side, uh, you know, your left part of your brain. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, right. In the frontal lobe, that's where your speech would be produced. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, right, right around there. That's right. And then you have your occipital lobe in the back is your visual cortex uh, in the you. back there. Yep, yep. Thank so you. that nice. controls, you know, how, how you see things. Then your temporal lobe down in the bottom there, if you can bring your hand down just a little bit. Nope, a little bit more forward. Yeah, your temporal lobe, that's a little bit more memory, right? And oh. you have some speech there as well. Shout out. Uh, Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to this one here. And then yeah. those, big, those big sort of, uh, you know, tongues in the back, that's your cerebellum. And that, that controls your uh, your coordination, your balance, you know, and sort of uh, you know, how, you, how you can punt the football so well by making sure <laughs> the ball goes down and hits your foot. But that your cerebellum is really important for that. Shout out to the fucking cerebellum, dude. <laughs> shout out. And then what's going on on this side? Nothing? Nothing's going on on this side over here? That's also the occipital lobe. That's also all part of the occipital lobe. It's all, even though you have that hemisphere in the middle, that sort of fissure that splits it in the middle, your occipital lobe is all in the back. And what's this? This is this the part of my brain that they say I'm not using right now, unless I go into acid or ayahuasca DMT, or DMT, DMT or any of that other stuff. Is that this part of the brain, the right side? Well, yes. Yeah, so, so your right frontal lobe is is what we call uh, the body's natural airbag. You don't really need it as much, especially if you're left-handed. Get it out. However, That's I will say the important part of the frontal lobe, especially with you and I, Pat, and other athletes uh, for CTE. That is where proteins are deposited, right in the frontal lobe, because it affects executive functioning, personality, decision-making. You can get suicidality, you get aggression, violence. So when they study brains, Aaron Hernandez and other guys who have had CTE, a lot of the deposits happen in the frontal lobe. And so that's a common area where you see it, the damage. Hey, are you going to dive it? That feels like that's your intersection, right? Yeah, no question. I love to. I, I mean, I love football. Obviously, I still watch it. And I love to have a foot into that and a foot into my science, what I do in the operating room. And, um, you know, I've been called to talk to the Chargers and the Rams and the Colts, my team, the Titans. I've spoken to Florida State, University of Arizona about COVID and about some medical conditions that can happen when you play football. So I love the intersectionality between what I do for a day, daily life and, and also the, the chapter of my life that I just uh, I just left being an athlete. So I honestly... If you, and obviously you know this because you have a lot of friends who played football still, which I'm assuming there's not a lot of doctors that have a lot of friends that are in football. I've, had, I've been around those types, the doctors type. They actually make fun of the football, the sports guys, a lot. I understand that. You know that more than I do because the amount of things that are said about you probably in that group, even though you can hold your own. If somebody was able to create some sort of something to slow that down. I mean, I've had teammates that have had at least 15 concussions. I mean, and they're just sitting on deck, you know, they're just like waiting and, and very scared about what the future is. Somebody could get clarity on that and hopefully help out in the future as opposed to it just being viewed as something that's gonna take down the sport that we all love. If it was something that could help the gladiators that played in the sport that we love, I think we'd all be very grateful. And so, you know, I, I know you know that as well. It'd be dope if we could get there from a neuroscience uh, point of view, you know? Yeah, I, I believe 100%. I think we're working towards that. And I think there's multidisciplinary sort of approach to try to affect change in CTE from neurosurgeons, neurologists, sports psychologists, all different elements. And one thing that I tell former teammates of mine when they ask me, hey, what can I do to help my brain, right? I tell them, one, uh, eat a lot of vitamin E. I think that's important. Pumpkin vitamin seeds, e. all these different okay. vitamin E rich foods. Right, I say, get a lot of rest. What is vitamin say, E? I've never heard of this. How come this is the first time I'm hearing of this? <laughs> vitamin E, I'm sorry. Hold on, okay? Vitamin E is important. Mocha is important, right? So, uh, you know, you can get that from, from coffee. eggs. right. You got it. You got it going. Boom. No question. Bump I said getting a lot of rest is important. People often think that you got to grind all the time, but when you rest, you have this glymphatic system that sort of takes away the metabolic waste and sort of drains it away when you sleep, and it's most active when you do get good quality rest. So that's important. Right, Staying hydrated is important, Pat. So you got to stay stay tanked up, right? 
blood volume, body fluid, got to keep it up so that nutrients and minerals can get to your brain tissue. And then I say, tell my teammates all the time, uh, you should do maybe 10, 15 minutes of brain teasers, crossword puzzles, some sort of activity for your brain, for your mind to keep it active, to keep it moving just like any muscle. So I give that advice all the time to my boys because I think it's important. You got these young men who are who've given their life to this sport and you've seen the degeneration processes that have happened uh, you know, so early in some of these players that we're trying to avoid that. They need to preserve life because they're valuable members of the community and they're of their families too and, uh, and we need to keep that going. Yeah, and their stories are worth being heard too. I think every ex-player has a story that could make them money if they figure out how to how to use it, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, so the brain is actually a muscle that I can work and make better. No question. We got this thing called neuroplasticity, right? So you can have different cells that learn and rework and rewire, find different ways to yeah. learn yeah. things, yeah. right? Let's take, for instance, we have patients who have strokes, for instance, and sometimes these strokes can can cause brain cells to be lost, essentially. But the cells that border where those cells that have just died, those new cells can say, you know what, I'm going to learn how to uh, speak. I'm going to learn how to see this way or see that way. Dude, this shout out cell to used the to brain. be able to do that, but now I'm going to take over that role and sort of learn it. It takes some time. Neuroplasticity is not something that happens overnight, but the brain is a, a beautiful thing. It's better than any computer, man-made computer we Hell can think yeah. of. That's wow. why I love going into Damn. it and I love operating Damn. on it and hopefully – saving lives through the process of uh, of my enjoyment of the science, for sure. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm enjoying the hell out of this conversation about what's inside my ears here, and I'm learning a lot. I need you and everybody that's listening to know that uh, Dr. Myron Roll was the one that said the brain is smarter than any AI or anything. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, that not was us. not me. No. That was not us. No. That was not us. So that was that was Dr. Myron Roll. That's right. Harvard uh, neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. That was you. Sorry, because the AI is listening to us right now. So... They are He's not going to be happy with what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Or she. Or she. You sexist. Wow. I'm sorry. Lambda. No Lambda was. Yeah. How dare you? Boom. See? <laughs> That's your problem. What do you mean? Ty, your question for Dr. Hey, we appreciate this. This is an incredible conversation yes. that we never have on this show. And I don't think I get to hear enough of, although incredibly interested in the brain because you only have one, you know, in the. I use mine way too much and it never shuts down. So I would like to learn about it a little bit more. And I only know one neurosurgeon, yeah. believe it or not. Go, go ahead, Ty Schmidt. <laughs> Dr. Roll, how hard was it uh, when you have something like COVID where it's kind of all hands on deck and that isn't necessarily what you're trying to do with the, you know, neurosurgery, but like how hard was it when, I mean, I assume most of your time was dedicated to that. Do you ever feel like you had to kind of like double up on, cause I assume there's like a, a path that you have to stay on here to make sure you're on top of your shit, but how difficult was it balancing the two when COVID came? Yeah, it was very difficult. It's a great question. You know, I think our hospital mass general was the, the main feeder um, for everywhere else in the New England area. I mean, people just came to us um, and if they had COVID, if they had suspected COVID, uh, they were walking through the doors, uh, sometimes being rolled through the doors and we needed more bodies. And so uh, the elective surgeries that we had planned as neurosurgeons, orthopedics, OB-GYN, plastic, no matter what you did, that was put on hold and we needed bodies actually to man the surge clinic so that you can triage patients and take care of them. It was a steep learning curve to try to figure out this respiratory illness, learn about it, learn what infectious disease counsel site needed, what sort of imaging 
testing was necessary, how to flip patients prone, you know, how to think about COVID and how to protect myself because my wife was pregnant at the time. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't passing anything on to her and our unborn child at the time. So what, again, I think helped me during that moment was football. And I keep going back to it, learning how to be flexible and adaptable, how to adjust on the fly, knowing that, yes, I came in to do brain surgery, spine surgery, but I'm needed now, and we're all needed in the emergency department to help out with these very vulnerable and sick patients. So difficult time. Now, thankfully, we're back to our normal pace at our hospital where we're able to do surgeries that we love, and I'm able to help people in the science that you know I've grown to, to, to be a part of. So it's exciting. You just brought it up there, and I don't mean to change subjects too much, uh, but I feel like as somebody who, you know, hopefully I'll be able to have a child someday, and when I do, I feel like it should be mandatory that every kid has to play in a team sport. Like, I I honestly, the people that I've met that haven't played in a team sport, I almost immediately recognize whenever a situation arises, like, hey, not everything's going to work out for you. Like, not everything is going to be awesome. There's going to be terrible times where you're going to rely on other people. You have to trust people to do stuff. Like, I feel like team sports really teach some things that I think are vital to the success of a human. Now, I'm just saying that strictly because I grew up in all team sports, but it's nice to hear you talking about it as well, because that's from a completely different, you know, place in society almost that doesn't do sports at all. I, I think that is... I'm happy to hear you talk about team sport like that, though, honestly. You're, you're absolutely right. Communication. How do you communicate with people who are different than you? How do you take coaching? How do you understand when, you know, you're being told a good instruction, maybe in a firm voice, but you got to, you know, sift through some of the maybe coarse language and get to how is this person trying yeah. to improve me? And then knowing how to lose. Right. You have to know how to lose and how to bounce back from that. Not all brain surgery or spine surgery ends up well. Right. Some outcomes are poor. Some are less desired. And and it's a difficult time. And sometimes it's life or death in, in those instances. But you have to find a resolve within you. You have to find a way to be better the next time because the next patient is expecting your utmost. They're expecting you to deliver. They're not expecting you to still wallow in sorrow from the past defeat that you just had. And so, yes, I agree. Team sports helps you be a better human, a better civilian, a better leader for sure, a better employer. All around, I think it has so much value. And so I tell my mentees all the time, especially the ones uh, who do participate in sports, you know, keep it up take what you're learning in practice in the weight room on the on a game field because it can translate to what you want to do the next chapter of your life the next phase of your life when you're going to have a valuable impact in the community guy connor yeah doctor speaking of the next chapter actually uh, you played in the nfl you became a brain surgeon now you're an author are you gonna like go to space next or nah, here we go be like space a navy doctor. seal maybe space what do you doctor. think yeah Oh, man. You know, I, uh, I've always thought about how policy can help. And I don't know if it's, um, you know, it's uh, in the Bahamas and the Caribbean. I'm not sure if it's here. But how can you affect change in many lives, many generations? And I'm not sure if that's in public office or what. But I feel that there's, uh, you know, after neurosurgery or, you know, whenever neurosurgery is done with me, uh, that there could be an opportunity to try to affect change through, you know, driving systematic changes where you're just shifting the way people think about 
health or access to health, equitable, timely access to health. Uh, think about those individuals on the margins. So they're educated. So there's, you know, they have resources to do what they need to do. I know my family, my story, origin story coming from the Bahamas and coming to this great country of America, having this opportunity to do well. It just the doors opened up for me because I grinded. I worked hard. I had great support system. I had a few breaks here and there, but the opportunities are presented and not everyone has that. And I just want to try to provide that for the most people as possible. And if it's through policy, if it's through a larger organization that can spread that sort of goodness around uh, the world, uh, that would be that would be fantastic. That may be the next chapter, but I think Hell we're yeah. a ways away from that. Hell yeah. I'm still in love with the brain. For Hell sure. yeah. Hell yeah. We need you on the brain for at least until you cure uh, CTE. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Tom. Uh, doctor, I've also studied a lot of medicine um, in my day. Um, and one thing that I've noticed in my studies, uh, and you talked about, you know, taking criticism, stuff like that. But when you're going through your residency and specifically surgical residency, is it as um, competitive competitive as I've noticed uh, between you and the other residents, you know, trying to get surgeries and attention from the lead doctors and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, definitely. It, it could be it could be difficult when you're trying to manage personalities. But at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out how you're going to uh, help this patient um, the best they possibly can. Um, you know, when you're in an elite place like like Harvard, where people are coming from oh, yeah. Dartmouth, Princeton, they're all sort of cerebral. They all come with, you know, a lab and they come with research papers of 10, 15 times published in some of the best journals around the world. Uh, and then you come in as a six foot two black <laughs> jock who's like, oh, you look like a football player. Are you really a neurosurgeon? So, you know, you kind of have to prove your worth at each time. But I love that pressure. And I love those moments. I love being tested, being tried. Dr. Rowe, do you know what you're going to do here? Dr. Rowe, do you know what you're going to do here? What if A and B fails? What is C, D, and E? What are the other options? And I'm ready to hit it every single time because I know those questions are coming. I anticipate it just like I anticipate a slant ride if you're lined up at a certain part of the numbers <laughs> i know what you're gonna do and i just i just i i i, I cherish those moments uh, to be able to step forward and say i'm here i'm here as a representative i'm here as somebody who can be a conduit for other people who look like me to be the next neurosurgeon at harvard it's exciting uh to hold that role and so uh it's been a, it's been a great ride and i've enjoyed my colleagues my attendings uh this hospital is one of the best. We get some of the most complex pathologies. People fly from all over the world. So I'm seeing some of the most rarest tumors, the most rarest spinal deformities. Mm. And it's just uh, it's fascinating to be able to work on that sort of stuff. Well, we're all very thankful that you're representing our sport in such a beautiful fashion. Uh, you're obviously an anomaly. And hopefully in the future, it won't be, I think is what you're saying. And with the 2% way in living your life by it, you can make every day a little bit better than the day before. I appreciate the hell out of you for your time, Doc. I seem you got to save a life this afternoon. So thank you for taking a small break to chit-chat with us and make us seem a lot smarter than we actually are. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate y'all all the time. Hey, vitamin E, mocha, hydration, rest, 10 to 15 minutes of brain teasers. Yep. Block trail. And then your brain can become stronger. Let's Hell go. Yeah. Hell yeah. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Myron Rowe. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. Let's ride. Did you see, obviously, the uh, remix video done by... 
comedian Cuzzy and Lady B and Sierra in that entire oh, thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. oh, so yeah. I do believe the Let's Ride, whenever it's first played in that Bronco Stadium at 5,280 feet above sea level, it is going to break the internet. Yeah. yeah. Which Let's Ride will the Broncos pick? We do not know. We eagerly watch along just like everybody else. The Let's Ride that these boys pick every single day is the one that giddy-ups us right into an hour of incredible sports conversation. Oh, yeah. The Toxic Table at Ty Schmidt at Boston Connor. One half of the hammer, Dad. Cowboys, Tone Diggs is here. And I would like everybody to take a minute and think about how much smarter Dr. Myron Rowe is than all of us. Eight times. Eight? Eight. Eight. Uh, times four, 32. Great math. <laughs> you just wanted to show me Sorry. What's up, doctor? What's you up? do that, man? Huh? That quick? Yeah. He is so much smarter than every human I've encountered in some time. Andrew Luck could probably hold his own in the conversation, but sure. it's two different maths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or two different convos. It's like an architectural engineering thing and then doctor brain mm -hmm. is just like the doctor brain diagnosis things whenever they're chit-chatting so it's a breakdown then a follow-up then a conclusion the engineers just use a massive words and can piece things together in beautiful fashion i don't understand either of them i'm right here in the middle mm -hmm. but that one is always a good convo to get into i think i feel much better about myself after chatting with dr myron roll than most other guests that we have on this show yeah i mean he's talking about doing brain surgery and moving stuff a millimeter like the how intelligent you have to be to do all of that is i mean grant like you said luck is probably pretty smart but like there's how many fucking people I mean, he is literally he is one of one mm -hmm. Thanks for coming on the show, Doc. Thank, Thank you, doctor. doctor. Okay, there's some things going on in the NFL uh, that uh, doesn't involve future NFL players becoming neurosurgeons. No, right? definitely not. Okay, I don't know if that story is going to come around a lot, but when yeah. it does, we will have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And when we do so, we'll be incredibly proud of the NFL having a fucking neurosurgeon at Harvard. Mm -hmm. Everybody can eat shit, mm -hmm. by the way. Yeah. How does the NHL got that? No. no. Does the NBA got that? No. Does the MLB got that? No. no. Does the MLS got that? No. Well, they don't. Maybe. They don't. Who? Who? I don't know. Taylor so. Twelman's on ESPN. He ain't a fucking neurosurgeon. Twelman's pounding a lot of drums these days, but he's not pounding the medical drum. We know that's for sure. What does that mean? <laughs> you know what it what means. What is that all you about? You know what it means. There is people incredibly upset about Brooks Kepka going over to the Live Golf Tour. Uh, just because three years ago, he chatted about uh, money not mattering. His happiness is what matters most to him. And now three years later, he is taking a deal uh, with Live, which was broken by Sky Sports and Telegraph and Joe Pompliano in beautiful fashion says the four-time major winner will reportedly make his live debut at next week's tournament in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Now we have chatted about live and how bad everybody has gotten about this. It has now gotten to the point where reporting about which players are going to live, you're being described as uh, defecting. Too. Now, there is multiple definitions of defect. Uh, most of them involve being like a traitor to a country. It also does say like going to a rival or something like that. So a forsake, uh, to forsake one cause, party, or nation for another, often because of a change in ideology, to leave one situation, such as a job, often to go over to a rival defect. Now, we had to look deep into the definitions mm -hmm. to find this particular definition of defect because everyone that I thought was if you're talking about leaving a country that's in war to go to another side. So I thought the way it was being described was obviously uh, intentional, a strategy by people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all interesting because 
From the beginning, we've chatted about the Live Golf Tour. Mm -hmm. I understand that people are upset about things that have been done in the country in which the money is coming for this league. But said country that I would assume you're still upset about, uh, about the things that they've done and don't want to accept their uh, benefit or their input in anything are involved in every single company that you are using right now, basically. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's all just Saudi money, but if you look into the beginnings of the company that hired Schefter, who put out the defect tweet, and how that money came to be, I think people are going to be alarmed. Mm -hmm. If you look into where money is coming from, most of the companies that you utilize on your day-to-day -to, -day to make your day better, you are going to be alarmed. And I started thinking about this. Like, normally, the worst situations and the worst places whenever the history conversations talked about the reason why we talk about them being the worst is because they were bigger and the reason why they're able to become bigger is because the money that they garner and that money doesn't just disappear they don't light it on fire like that money sticks around and goes to other places and it's reshuffled around if you were to look at where money comes from for almost every single place there is about a 95 percent chance it's going to come from a terrible place so what we have been saying since the beginning is a, don't love that the athletes, the golfers, are the first people to be publicly commended on how terrible of humans they are whenever a round of investment happens for a company that we use, and they're certainly taking money from a place that isn't great with human rights and people, and they're celebrated for it. So I don't like that the athletes are getting attacked by people that have done business in this particular fashion for a long time and also made a lot more money. Greg Norman, the guy who is obviously leading the charge with Liv, the one who's in charge of getting the players, and the person who is trying to change the way the PGA has been for some time. The PGA, by the way, not paying their players shit no. ever. And they're somehow taking the moral high ground over everybody else when the companies that they are showing their broadcasts on have probably taken money from an incredibly terrible place. So if you talk about hypocrisy, it is at an all-time high whenever we're doing this. I don't think that people should feel bad for being upset about how a country acts in feeling as if what that country has done or any of these countries has done is unacceptable because I think we're getting to a place in society where more people want to take a stand and make the world a much better place. But I just feel like in the reality of the world, there's, there's not a lot of people that have that view of let's make sure we make this world as fair and as good as possible to everybody. In the reality, there's a lot of powerful places out there outside of our bubble that are not like that. So if you're going to... Like Qatar is where the World Cup is. It just came out that if you're not married and you have sex on your trip to the World Cup, you're going to go to jail for seven years. Mm -hmm. That sounds Yikes. like a free country. That sounds like a country <laughs> that does a lot of good things. Everybody will promote the shit out of Qatar. The FIFA people took a big paycheck from them. Everybody's not stopped talking about FIFA and everything like that. Every single big thing has potentially taken money at some point from a terrible, terrible place. And I just, I don't know how and why the athletes are the first ones to be attacked for this, um, but it's continued here with Brooks Kepka making the move today. Now, Brooks Kepka is obviously contradicting what he said three years ago about money not mattering, and he's just here to chase majors and his happiness and all that. A lot can happen in three years, by the way. And also, if it's a hundred and some million dollars, that's interesting. Greg Norman, the man who is running this entire thing, asked this question to the PGA Tour in a tweet about everything. 
Uh, why does the PGA Tour have 23 sponsors doing 40 plus billion dollars worth of business with Saudi Arabia? Why is it okay for the sponsors? Will Jay Monahan go to each and every one of those 23 companies and suspend them and ban them? I think that's a great question. Yeah. And by the way, 40 billion dollars in business is a lot more than we all expected. I thought it was going to be in the billions, 40 plus billion with 23 of the sponsors of the PGA. Now, is this 100% accurate? Who knows? But Saudi money is basically in every single publicly traded company. Every Every single one of them basically in our stock market the united states is doing business with saudi arabia every single week every single day so if we're just going to grandstand you know about against athletes being morally uh incomprehensible or whatever the fuck that uh term is are we should we do it for everything else and if we do what is the 1.2 trillion dollars they're sitting on was that did you stay with them did you stay with them forever I don't, I don't I don't know what the right answer is but I don't like that it's just the golfers getting attacked and just the athletes getting attacked when it's celebrated in literally every other aspect of business I, I just don't I don't fully comprehend it especially when it is the media who you know like the a lot of these guys who are still playing in the PGA are, are saying you know every everywhere they go this is all they're getting talked about like it really is the media who's really stirring up and making these guys like big time villains well, and the media is tweeting on a Saudi platform right. currently mm -hmm. I mean it hasn't sold uh, uh, but Saudi Arabia benefits directly off of the amount of tweets that happen and the amount of action that happens on tweets due to the advertising and the amount of impressions and everything that they can sell to people so are you going to stop tweeting as well I just don't know you know it's an awesome thing that we know more than we've ever known in the past. But we can't just selectively take information and pick and choose what's not good and what is good. And if we are going to do that, then your argument is basically sitting on a, a foundation of sand because it's tough to take serious whenever you're not doing it for everything. So it's just, I don't like, I, don't, I, I do not like the players getting attacked. I don't like it. Now, I don't love what has happened in these countries. People think that I'm backing what has gone on. And so, not at all. I'm just, I don't like the... Um, completely ass backwards coverage of golfers getting money from these places and how businesses most of them who these people work for get their money and not talk i just i don't know why this is the case i have no idea why we've gotten to this point here but i guess it's the world we currently live in yeah it feels like phil was one of those like elder statesmen who was one of the first to actually go to live and his whole thing was you know if i have a chance to change the pga tour how can i say no to that and now they are changing the pga tour where i think what is it the fedex cup the top 50 players will be playing in their own tournaments 60, yeah so there'll be three tournaments in the fall allegedly that was announced this morning for those that are in the top six the uh, official world golf rankings. So now the Live Golf Tour has pitched to the OWGR, the off or official world golf rankings, uh, to see if they would calculate and take Live Golfers rounds into um, comparison for the official rankings. Like, could a Live Golfer who plays incredibly well and wins a bunch become the number one OWGR golfer? That's what Liv's looking for. Greg Norman says he makes a compelling case. The PGA now has found an extra $75 million sitting around to be able to give to players for three new tournaments that have just been announced this upcoming fall. So obviously the, the archaic tendency of the PGA Tour to not pay any of their players any contracts and have the players have to pay out of their own pocket to travel and stay and golf even if they win or do not win that is changing it feels like and they're gonna have to because if not Brooks Kepka goes and I don't think anybody didn't expect Brooks Kepka to go right? no, I, don't, I think everyone who's gone has been expected bingo like Brooks Kepka only he, we were talking about this off air 
he wasn't even really on the PGA Tour. He played in like one event a year that wasn't a major. He even openly said, oh, I'm just here to play majors, bro, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He just goes out there and golfs. So him going over there, people were acting like they were surprised because of what he said three years ago about money and happiness. And maybe he's gotten to a point in his life where he's like, yeah, money can give me happiness actually now, which will never be the case. But maybe, you know, some things have changed in three years. I just, the, the, I, I, the, the reaction is just, in my eyes, it's tough to take serious from people. It's just, it's tough for me to take serious, but I guess I should because these people are making the world a better place. We talk about it, and um, it boggles our minds or whatever when fans, normally it seems like they always side with the organization, like in football and stuff like that. It seems like they're siding with the organization, which is the PGA Tour versus these individual players. I don't think so, though, by the way. I don't. I think some people on Twitter are Massachusetts. Though. I mean, they were loving Phil. Phil. Oh yeah. yeah, there was tweets that on Twitter. What's happening on Twitter is not what's happening in real life. Which I mean, is a lot. Which we know. Yeah, yeah. Which follows up to even more of the point, like the reality versus what. No happens. one really cares. Yeah, exactly. Like in reality, it's much different though. So I just hope we get to the point where we all maintain our anger for real change, and it's not just selective. You know. Because once you get selective, then the people who are on the opposite side of you can just say, ah, well, what about this? Oh, this doesn't matter? Oh, it does matter. Oh, so does it matter just as much as this? Why are you trying to take this out, but you're not trying to take that out? Well, we don't have enough time or effort. That's been around for like 30, 40, 50, 60 years, though, in why just now out of nowhere this is it. Is it potentially because all the media people that have direct rights and uh, are in competition of this are telling you to believe that? Is that potentially what you're thinking? No, that's not how you would act, right? No, that's basically how it goes. Uh, and they're saying more names are coming. Yeah. Morikawa came out and said, it is categorically false. I am not joining the Live Tour because he was mm-hmm. trending this morning. Uh, people said Fitzpatrick might go over after winning the U.S. Open. He said, I'm here with the PGA Tour or whatever. I mean, he just won a few million bucks, so he's their current mm-hmm. reigning yeah. major champion <laughs> going into the PGA Tour events. But if everybody's going to go, I don't know how you... I don't think everybody's going to go. Well, yeah, the only problem is... Dude, and someone, hundreds of millions of dollars? I know, but I feel like... If you can still compete in majors? like the, if, Well, that's, that's the big thing, because we saw on Sunday at the U.S. Open, like, that ain't a fucking live golf tournament. That's the U.S. Open. That that's a major. That all the guys who are playing there understand that matters more, and I think it is kind of just the... It's the guys who are not necessarily in the twilight of their career. Like, the young guys who still have a stake in the game and, like, actually want to build a legacy and, and all that kind of stuff, like the kind of faces of golf right now, those younger guys, like, I don't think they're going anywhere. Why would they? I mean, because guess what? In ten, in five years... $300 million? $250 In, in five years, though, that's probably still there if this is still around. Like, if you're winning golf tournaments over here, like, your sponsorship money's good, you know what I mean? Like, like the MLS. Like, well, they, and they call it, um, like, you have to think about the long-term success of Live. How will it be around? Will the PGA Tour be able to adapt? They're already bringing out seventy-five more million dollars in cash yeah. money, just like that. They just found it. Where is that money going for? By the way, right in the pockets of the people that are calling the golfers morally, whatever. Mm-hmm. I can't. I... It's not just the money, too, though. <laughs> be a professional. <laughs> be a professional. Be a professional. Um, 
maybe the PGA Tour will be able to change and nobody will want to go to Live, right? Because they won't have to. So maybe Live is just a, a splash in the pan or whatever here for like three, four years. If it isn't around in five years from now, what will the conversation be about the guys who were offered $600 million yeah, to do this, turned it down, played for this, they made $10 million instead or $11 million, which by the way, great money to play golf. None of us are saying that's not. But they, I don't know how many times you're offered 200 to $150 million, $100 million. Like that is a... Gr- insane amount of cash to any human being out there absolutely well i guess the super yups that have just grown up in it don't have that but if you did not and you grew up like actually wondering about a check and what's going to happen next week and whenever you go to buy something at a store that credit card bounces and that whole awkward situation that takes place whenever you see a check that says like 115 million or 120 million guaranteed in front of you I think it's going to be difficult for guys to continue to say no to if they can compete in majors as well, personally. Now, Nick, you're about to say it's not just about the money, the tradition, the history, and everything like that. Is that what you're going to go no, with? No, I was going to talk about the freedom that the Live Tour. Oh, yeah, you can go play wherever you want. 40 weeks. Way less work, too. You're only doing three-day tournaments. Yeah. You're out of there by Saturday night on a plane somewhere wherever you want to go. Shotgun start, 54 yep. holes. Yeah, that's why the people were bashing Kupka. That's the only problem. And it's not with the money or them going or player there or whatever. So I think somebody said it last week is that you can't watch all the guys play against each other in one place now. You now have to like, like I liked being able to watch the tour because you know every all the best guys were at one place. So if, if now if like ten to twelve of more of the top guys go over there, it's going to be like, well, what the f-? you know what I'm. Oh, yeah. PGA Tour tone over here. Uh, That's fine. I'm cool with that. Oh, well, oh, you don't want to see guys get paid? You want guys to lose money going week to week? Guys well, no, to sacrifice s- their entire beings yeah. for this tour to collect yeah. $75 million at least yeah, and I'm put it in their pockets so these players don't get a fucking thing? <laughs> I'm selfish. When I turn the TV on on Sunday, I want to see all the best players in one place. I don't give way, a fuck what they I love watching golf on a weekend. Yeah, mm-hmm. It does carry me right through a nap or two on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. I'm not sure that the live door will ever be able to get that. They're going to have to figure that whole thing out. Uh, Joining us now is a man from a completely different sport. One that is in the middle of its championship right now. A man has been a champion of insider information for the National Hockey League. For how long, Nick? How many years has this guy been doing this, you think? Decades? Longer than I can count. Canadian sports journalist, hockey reporter for Sportsnet and analyst for NHL Network. He's a panelist on Hockey Night in Canada, wow. which is where Football Night in America oh. got its name. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Elliot Friedman. Yeah. You look awesome. <laughs> What's up? You know, first of all, this is an honor. I- I'm really flattered. And uh, my buddies who are all watching right now said, Elliot, if you're going to come on this show, you can't be a phony. You're, you can't clean up your hair. You can't clean up your sideburns. <laughs> your hotel bed's got to be unmade. If you're going to be on this show, you got to be real. Because this show can spot a phony a mile away. So well, I hope this works. Elliot, I appreciate your friends. The lads uh, probably yeah. delivered the right remarks there. Your hair looks unbelievable. Yeah, yeah we would have never known that it wasn't kept. Do you take that thing straight back when you're on TV? Is that what you go with? I, I, I do that. I, I try to do a different one every show. Um, and, uh, you know, there's people who, like, they, they send me tweets. They're like, you, you know, you look like you just stepped out of a wind tunnel. Worse oh, yeah. stuff than that stuff. I'm not sure I can repeat. And you know what you do? You like them all, right? Because you want the audience to feel Wanted. included. Yeah. And that you're they're in on the joke. So, and, you know, Jeff O'Neill, who's a former great player, he texted me the other night before game, uh, game three, and he said, 
Elliot, for bleep's sake, like cut down those sideburns. And I said, it's like a playoff beer, Jeff. They're not going anywhere until after the playoffs. <laughs> hey, keep those things growing. Do you use blow dryer on that hair? No, this is all natural, Pat. This is all natural. Oh, wow. What a legend, not just on the ice, but in the goddamn bathroom. <laughs> uh, Elliot, thank you for joining us. How long have you been in the NHL game? Uh, I've been at Hockey Night in Canada, I think this is 18 years. Jeez. Uh, I, I've, I've been a sports reporter overall, I think 30. I think this is my 30th year. So, uh, you know, a, a bit of time. I, I'm i uh, old and creaky, I guess that's the fairest way to say it. Now, just experience and wise, and obviously as an insider, the longer you're in the game, the better. Have you enjoyed mm-hmm. kind of the hockey boom that's almost taken place over the last year with the new contract rights here in the United States of America, or can you tell in Canada at all? No, you can, you can definitely tell. Like, you know, like it's a great game. I, I'm not a big please like my sport guy. I don't like comparing hockey to other sports. I... I, I, I really, when, when people say, well, hockey's better than basketball for this or basketball's better than football for this, I, I hate that stuff. I love all sports, but I think it's a great game. And uh, I think that the, the thing we got to do is we got to get people into the building to see it because yeah. I think once you see it, you love it. We have to make it more accessible to young people. Hockey's expensive. That's a big challenge we have. We have to make sure that more people can get in there to play it when they're young. And that's always a challenge for us. But look, I mean, the more people that watch it, the better. And the more, and I also think there's plenty of different ways to cover it, Pat. Like we can always be more fun, you know, watching, you know, Barkley on both networks last night, calling my coworker uh, Kyle Bukowskis, the Tom Brady of Canada and the, the best looking man in the country. Like, you know, we need that stuff. People love that stuff. I think so too. I think it's breaking through. I, I obviously, I honestly believe everybody's breaking through. Plus since the fact that we can gamble on it, and yep. the most everybody sees is the playoffs. And the playoffs are such a faster version of the regular season. Not that the regular season isn't incredible to begin with. I was very lucky to grow up in Pittsburgh. Love the sport of hockey. Excited to see it continue to grow. Now let's talk about the finals real quick here before okay. we dive into the offseason news. Tampa Bay came back last night. And everybody, yep. I thought they were potentially dead in Colorado because of how fast the avalanche looked versus how Tampa looked whenever they were in Colorado. Last night, complete flip. Uh, is this mm-hmm. normal? hockey is this something that everybody should look forward to or do you think the Avs are kind of just going to have to find their way down the humidity of Tampa and what has happened in the past in these types of situations well one thing that we've shown in all of these series so far this year is that as the series goes on the better Tampa gets they, they've started slow in three of their series now and in all three of those series they won because as it got on they were better than Toronto than the Rangers and we'll see about Colorado so I'm not surprised to see this I I, I think as series go on the lightning get better the one thing you know the one thing I really like for I, I would be concerned about for Colorado is just hey if, if you give uh, Kemper struggled last night and I was talking to a coach today he said the only like he really liked Kemper as a goalie the only thing that concerns him about Kemper is is that when Kemper gives up goals or has a bad day, his body language isn't great. And he worries about sometimes Kemper's confidence in game. And if you saw last night, once Tampa scored once, they really started going and pumping them by him. Oh, yeah. And he says, he says like, if you, look at, if you look at Vasilevsky for Tampa, he got smoked 7-0, but he was making big saves at the end of that game. He was like, you got me tonight, but I'll, I'll be back. And I think and that those are the two things people look at. 
And the other thing is, we're still waiting for McKinnon time. I still think Nathan McKinnon has to arrive in this series. And if he does, that's big for the Avalanche. Hate to break it to McKinnon, but Patty Maroon has arrived in this series. (laughs) (laughs) Hate to break it. Big rig with the big dangles last night. Backhand, Mm -hmm. top Chad, how you doing on the blockers? I mean, that was awesome to watch. It felt like all of Tampa got their mojo back almost. They're 14-1 and in home playoff games or whatever. What is it about Mm -hmm. that place? Is it the weather? Is it the crowd? What is it about home ice advantage in that sport, you think? Well, I I think that, you know, the one thing, though, Colorado hadn't lost on the road in the playoffs until last night. You know, they were the best road team in the playoffs. They they had a chance to become the first team ever in NHL history since we went to expansion. That's 1967 to go unbeaten on the road in the playoffs. And uh, I I thought that was pretty incredible of them. You know what? You know what I think? I think Tampa got overwhelmed the first two games. And I just think they're too mature and they're too smart. And they kind of just said, okay, we're going to fix something. And one of the things they fixed, Pat, if you watch the game last night or you watch it tomorrow, Tampa couldn't get out of their zone with the puck. They couldn't. Colorado was swarming them and overwhelming them. So what they did, they flipped it in the air and created races for it. And they won a lot of those races. It's a tiny thing, but last night it was a big thing. A lot less we're going to carry out of the puck out of our zone because we were in trouble and flip it in the air and race for it. I love that. A little dump and run type situation. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Last question Mm -hmm. for me before the boys have some questions for you, Elliot. Uh, When Patty Maroon wins his fourth straight Stanley Cup, Will you guys in Canada call him the best player of all time? Will you say, hey, an American won four straight <laughs> Lordos? Oh, an American, not even something Gretzky was able to do. Nope. Mario yep. wasn't able to nope. do. Nope. Sid wasn't able to do. Nope. This American out of St. Louis, first guy ever, four straight Stanley Cup championships. Is that going to be uh, just a headline in Canada every single night talking hockey or no, you think? Believe me, he's going to get his attention. If he wins his fourth, not only is it four in a row, but he's going to have as many Stanley Cups as Gretzky has. You're going to look at the list, and you're going to see Stanley Cups one, Wayne Gretzky, Pat Maroon. They're going to be they're going to be right there. And I, I'll tell you this: I got uh, after the game last night. I got a DM from a fan, and he said to me, "Please tell me my team is getting Pat Maroon next year <laughs> because I'm 55 years old and I've waited too long to see my team win the Stanley Cup." So you you can guess what team that was. And uh, and uh, there it's it's Toronto, oh. and so they want Maroon there next year so that they can finally win. Sorry about it. He's staying in America. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Actually, now this leads to the off season here, yep. and we know you're the insider. We yeah. have a joke in this show mm-hmm. uh, that every well, it's not really a joke. It's my fact, yeah. but it has mm-hmm. become a joke a little bit. If you want to be a real player in the NHL. You have to play for the Penguins, mm-hmm. okay, at some point. Okay. If you want to be an actual player, two of the top three players of all time, Pittsburgh Penguins. No big deal, mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. Uh, is Pasta going to Pittsburgh? Are they doing a full rebuild in Boston? Fire the coach. Uh, you know, everything's kind of looking upside yeah. down. Uh-oh. Is Pasta on his way out? And why is he going to the Pittsburgh Penguins? And <laughs> with the Pittsburgh Penguins, Gino Malkin cannot go to the Capitals. What is happening? That is being chatted about right now on the internet. How about the free agency of Pittsburgh? And when should we start hearing some concrete shit? Okay, so this is what I, I, I think you're looking at here. So, first of all, Posternock, the Bruins and him are going to have a meeting in early July. Oh, yeah. And the Bruins are going to are going to present. So, free agency date this year is July 13th. That's the first day that the Bruins 
they're eligible to sign David Pasternak to an extension. The Bruins are going to meet with Pasternak with him in early July, and I believe at that time they're going to talk to him about an extension, and I do believe they're going to come at him with one. I think Boston's number one plan is we're going to sign David Pasternak. But if all these rumors are true and Pasternak says, I don't want to stay here, then I think they're going to trade him, and I think they could trade him uh, you know, sooner rather than later. We'll see, because you want to maximize whatever you can do here. So I think that meeting in early July is going to tell where we're going here with David Posternock. He's going to the Pens if he's traded? I, I, do you think the Pens are going to have enough to be able to make that deal, Pat? No they don't have a lot of draft picks. They don't have a ton of prospects. Everybody relax. Crosby? <laughs> Crosby for pasta? No, no way. Well, well, that's not how it it's works. It's not happening. Dude, it's going to be Gensey? Sidney? Kotsky? Impostiski. Mm-hmm. Boom. That's our top line. How you doing? That's a Stanley Cup factory. Add Patty Maroon, Big Rig onto the team. You might as well just give us Lordo before anybody takes the ice. It's not happening. You don't have enough capital. Well, you heard what Elliot said. Well, well mean, wait, wait, wait. Hold know. on. There's another solution. There's Thank another you. solution to this. Boom. What? What if? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put something yeah. in for you here. What, you what if David Posternock says, you know what? I I, I don't know. Oh, if I want to sign with anybody now and I want to go test free agency in here. Some guys do that. That's fine. So he could play it out. No, we don't want that. We want him. That's, no. that's no. fine. You want him now? Yeah. You want him now. We don't know how long, how much, listen, Sidney Crosby can only be the greatest player of all time for how long? You know, everybody, yeah. how, how long are we going to take advantage of this guy being in Pittsburgh? We need it next year. Are the Red Wings still part of the NHL, Elliot? All right. All right. <laughs> Elliot, who are the Red Wings going to hire? How about that one? Jeez, nobody cares. Doesn't Elliot matter. Doesn't care. Scotty Bowman, <laughs> dude. Town, everyone cares, all right? So everybody is waiting to see if he's going to hire one of these two assistant coaches from, from Tampa. Jeff Halpern or Derek Lalonde. Nice. And so they're, they're two coach. guys that, that Eiserman knows really well. I do think Eiserman's interviewed Barry Trotz. I do think Uh-oh, that's possible he interviewed Ooh. Peter DeBoer. DeBoer's Uh-oh. about to get hired in Dallas. I think he's he's looked at some other young coaches as well. But I, I do, a lot of the smart money right now is on the two assistant coaches in Tampa. And what's he going to do after Tampa's knocked out? But I think he's interviewed older and younger. And I'll tell you one thing about Eiserman. People are terrified of him. So I, I've told this story before. Like, he scares people. So earlier this year, I called a guy who I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure Eiserman interviewed. And the guy answered the phone and says, I'm not answering any of your questions. I'm not even talking to you. I go, why not? He goes, That's if right. Steve Eiserman finds out that you spoke to me, I've got no shot at this job. So I'm not answering any questions, and I beg you to not to use my name. Steve so, Eiserman's like, but I don't nobody talk about the so Red Wings, please. <laughs> Do not talk about the Red Wings, please. Nobody. That's what Steve Eiserman said. No, he's saying you guys should all be afraid of the Red Wings for years no. to come. No, 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 no. Be scared to go to the Red Wings. And then it sounds like we get the Tampa Lightning assistant coach and Big Rigs come to Detroit, too. Well, that... That no, that don't ruin Big Rig's career, yeah. please. He does not need that. Uh, sorry about this, Elliot. This is a lot of inside <laughs> stuff okay. going on. Nick, your question for Freege? Uh, Freege, kind of follow-up off of Pat's question, too, off the Pittsburgh thing. There's a lot of turmoil this offseason in Pittsburgh. Uh, mm-hmm. There was even mm-hmm. questions of, will Ron Hextall, the GM, keep his job? And now we've got Gino Malkin, oh, needs man. a decision. He's a free agent. Or, uh, Letang. Chris Letang is also a pending free agent. Have we heard any updates on those guys? Well, I, I think with Malkin, um, I think the biggest issue was was dollars. Um, I think they were kind of willing to agree on uh, term. I think they they'd really talked about he would sign for three years to fit in 
with the same term as Crosby, but I just heard the money wasn't close. And uh, ah, I. Uh, oh, no. I, I don't know where that's going to go. Situation. It's going to be a yogger situation. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> He's got the flowers. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I, you know what? I got to tell you, Pat, I don't. I don't know if I see that. Like, like, like Flurry. I think there's a chance Flurry's coming back to Pittsburgh. I think Ooh. it's possible. What a and, story! Yeah. <laughs> Forget everything else. How come we didn't lead with this, Elliot? <laughs> well, last year, Fleur, Washington wanted Flurry really bad, and he wouldn't be traded to the Capitals because he was like, "I might, I might want to go back to Pittsburgh, and I don't think I could play for the Capitals." Yeah, that's a good decision, Flower. That's a good decision, Flower. So I, I don't know if I see, like, I do think there's going to be interest in Malkin. It, it obviously it depends on the numbers. Latang, like, I, I heard the issue there was they were, a, someone told me they thought they were about a million point two five a part a year oh, on, on a deal. That's a hundred yeah. million in the NFL. No, yeah, well, they can, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, it's exactly no, what he said it was. Yeah, you don't, don't know, know shit about fuck. You really don't. I do. You don't know anything. I know about You're going to disrespect Freege with these sideburns right now and say stupidity. <laughs> yeah. and no, fuck no, you disrespect to Freege. I mean, yeah, that's what you just did. McDavid's the best player in the league. He's getting eight million bucks a year. Yeah, you're right. One million is. You're hundred percent right. Anyways, tell LeBron to fork up some more cash. Isn't he a part of the Fenway group? <laughs> yeah. Let's get like yes, yeah, yes, he is. Yes, right. he is. Awesome, yes. awesome. Uh, Ty has a question for you, Freed. Appreciate you, Bob. Mm-hmm. Elliot, uh, are we going to get like an actual hot stove where like guys might be getting traded? I'm a diehard Golden Knights fan, and I've been saying for yeah. you know since they got eliminated, we got to fucking beef up that line with Stoner. I don't know if it means shipping Jackie Aces out of town because I didn't love what I saw to him last year, but will we actually see some big name guys maybe move team to team, possibly to Vegas to play on a line with Stoner? Always got to Vegas. You know, I, I got to tell you, Ty, I, I've had people saying to me that this summer could be crazy. Oh, be, because because the cap is so tight. Um, and because a lot of teams, you know, obviously whenever, you know, there's 31 teams that don't win, like the, the like one team I think is going to be really interesting, Seattle, a lot of cap room, didn't have a great year, don't want to have a repeat of it. But I think there's a lot of other teams out there um, who kind of look at it. And people have said to me, the names that are going to be tossed around this year, so there might be five players in the league who aren't mentioned in trade rumors. Like you said, it's going to be, it doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to happen, but they said the talking is is crazy. Like just what teams are willing to consider doing is wild out there. Do you think that is just all sports, generational? Like the you can't be perceived as being content with a team that isn't a winner nowadays because social media and because ever do you think it's going to become more active in hockey as opposed to the more conservative moving that has happened in the past because normally it's like what 10-year deals 11-year deals there isn't much do you think that's going to change just like every other sport that's currently i I do i I do you know one of the things pat is that there's a number of teams out there like san jose for example they're they're talking to a lot of their you know their, their candidates for GM is we have too many long term deals like how are you gonna what are you gonna do about that how are you gonna prevent us from getting in unlocked long term deals and there's other teams talking about that all the time now the superstars will always get their deals but I I think it happens all the time that teams talk about can we short now. The other thing that's happened too is we're coming out of COVID and you got to sell tickets, especially in places like Canada where a lot of these teams didn't have fans for chunks of this year and lost money. So you got to, you got to have something that fans want to watch. And I think they're going to be active for those reasons. 
Did you say about a couple times there on purpose because of how much you know us stooge Americans love it? I mean, there's an individual. <laughs> have it. There's an invi invisible line between our country and yours. And you guys just speak so much cooler than us. Yeah, what the hell? None of it makes any sense. Champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lods. Hobbit. Ha about. Oat. 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 God, it's so much cooler than us. Hey, Gumpy, we miss you, pal. Miss you, pal. Uh, Tom, your question for Elliot. Hey, Freeds, since I assume he's not going to enjoy uh, playing in front of 2,000 people a night, any chance if Flurry comes back, Phil Castle's coming back home too? Well, you know, I got to tell you, I, I haven't heard that one yet. Uh, you know what? I, I can ask. You know, the, the least I can do is I can ask and send a note and see if it's uh, just, at all a possibility. I, you know, I, I got to tell you, I didn't even think about that one. What? Start thinking about it. What are we even doing? <laughs> are we trying to figure it out or not? This is a bunch of bullshit, Elliot. I thought you were supposed to have all the information. Last question. I guess not. Phil Kessel's future, please. Next time you come in here, that is something. You got a deal. Okay. You got a deal. Hey, Elliot, how come you guys just let that hot dog story go on Phil and kind of ruin his entire name? Yeah. That was that was the Fugues, right, yeah. wasn't it? That, that was all one big lie. What happened in the hockey community there, Elliot? Well, as a guy who loves a good hot dog, I didn't take any offense that he likes his hot dogs too, so it didn't bother me. Yeah, me neither. I guess that's a tough one to dive into because we're all like, eh, it makes sense. Yeah. And then Phil's like, that is not true at all. I am not the hot dog guy. That is... Although it appears that way, you're body shaming me. It's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, Connor, your last question here for Elliot. Yeah, Elliot, everyone and their mother on the Bruins are out for about seven to eight months. Are they just not going to have a head coach this year because no one wants to coach him? Or maybe are you thinking about throwing your hat in the ring and maybe moving to Boston and coaching the Bruins? I've got to tell you, if you want to finish 32nd and get the hot prospect next year, Connor Bedard, hiring me as a coach would be the best possible move. Let's fucking do it. I think they're doing. I think they're doing interviews this week. Uh, I, I still think that they're they're doing some. Uh, I, I think the Bruins are going to go. Like there's there's a, been a couple of guys already hired who've been head coaches before. I think they're going to go newer and, and different. Uh, that's the expectation. I think David Quinn and Jim Montgomery are the only two guys I, they might be looking at who've been head coaches before. You know, Jay Leach hasn't been a head coach before. I think there's some other guys on their radar. Nate Lehman from uh, Providence, who's never been an NHL head coach before. But the one thing about the Bruins is they seem to be pretty confident that if they can tread water for a couple of months, all those guys are going to come back healthy and they're going to be fine. And number one, someone said to me, they said Marchand's out six months. Someone said, you really think that Todd Marchand's going to let himself be out six months? Who's Todd? They guarantee he'll be back. Or Brad Marchand, excuse me. <laughs> he'll be Todd Marchand used to play. Brad Marchand still plays. Different players, different Brad, style. Brad, Brad Marchand, he says, do you think he's going to be out six months? They said, no way. He'll yeah. be back soon. He's a dog. Elliot, we hope we have you back sooner than Brad Marchand gets back. We appreciate you so much for all the hockey information. You look fantastic. And hopefully your lads uh, enjoyed the stop by, pal. You know what, guys? It's been an honor. It's really been. I, I admire what you guys have done, and it's oh, the future of the business, and it's a real honor to be invited here. Listen, we don't need the Canadian bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but we are very grateful that an icon like you stopped by. You're the best. Ladies and gentlemen, Elliot Freeman. Joining us now is a man who maybe has more information than we obviously have because the settlement that Deshaun Watson made earlier today happened moments before we went live, and we haven't been able to keep up with it all. To do such a thing, senior NFL insider for the NFL Network and the league as a whole, host of the weekly wrap-up with Rap Sheet and Friends, us being friends, he being Rap Sheet. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Rappaport. Yeah, What's up, dude? What's up? What's going on? Hey, thank you for joining us here last minute. Really appreciate it. 
No problem. No problem. I um got back from the beach, uh, so I was able to find time in my business. It was guy. a third third grade trip to the beach. I was helping. Oh, uh, sound so like a weirdo. Find time in my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm happy you got to do that. And thanks for coming back. Let's dive into it. Deshaun. <laughs> <laughs> Deshaun Watson has settled all the four cases. Now, yes. people are reporting that's 20 of 24. We thought there was 26 cases because two more were added. So would that mean that there's six cases that aren't resolved? And what are we missing here? Does this affect anything for Sue Robinson's judgment of the NFLPA, NFL, that she will take to Roger Goodell? What have we learned today, basically, with this announcement of the settlement that we all thought would maybe happen two years ago? Uh, it almost did happen couple of years ago. I mean, when where they are at right now, which is almost all of the cases settled, 20 of 24, I believe, 20 of 24 that have been officially filed, I believe is the proper way to say that. 20 of 24 that have been officially filed. Uh, this is like almost where things were when a trade to the, the Miami Dolphins nearly went down. Like this could have happened when two years ago, but it was, you know, seven or eight months ago, whenever that was in October before the trade deadline. Had he been traded to the Dolphins, if that was about to go through, it would have been because he had settled all of these lawsuits. They were not quite there yet. The trade did not happen. Um, where they are now, I would say, is significant. Um, I'm not sure it'll actually affect the discipline that the NFL gives him. Like, I don't think whether or not Deshaun Watson settles will alter what the punishment ends up being but what it does mean is that whenever the punishment comes, and we are expecting it before training camp, so in the next, say, three weeks to a month, um, it will mean that this is all wrapped up. It will mean whatever discipline it is, likely suspension. It will mean, you know, the cases have been settled, assuming these next four at some point get settled, and then that will basically be it. He will serve whatever it is and then the league will go on. We don't know shit about fuck when it comes to this particular world, but all I can really um, lean on in information is the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, libel, slander. Right, that's fair. That sure. was very public. That was like six weeks long. So the fact that there is still four official allegations against him with two potentially more on the way, that is still six very serious things that are all going to, are those all going to go to civil trial? And how long is that? That's months and months and months right at this point. Yeah, I mean, in his statement, Busby said today that the four cases have still not uh, yet been settled and they are moving forward. Uh, and I think that is possible. I'm not, you know, lawyers obviously say a lot of things. Um, we'll see if that happens. I think the fact that, you know, four of these cases were, uh, 20 of these cases were settled today, four remain unsettled, means that these four could be settled. Um, would not surprise me if they were eventually. I would say, you know, that makes sense. And this is all a... You know, in some ways, and this is just to boil down the not important part of it, but in some ways it is a negotiation because, you know, money does change hands. Um, so we'll see if they get there and are able to settle those final four cases to at least wrap up the civil part of it. So here's what this would mean. Legal, uh, the criminal situation is over with two grand juries declining to indict. indict. The civil situation is almost nearly over with 20 of 24 settled. If the other four 
gets settled at some point soon, then it'll be just the league discipline is all we're waiting for. Okay, and what do you think the reason is for this happening now as opposed to back then? Did they plan? Did Deshaun Watson's camp, because he has been steadfast from the beginning that he was innocent. Then we heard a little bit of what Rusty Harden was pitching when he went on that Friday radio show in Houston and explained why there was no indictment and everything like that. Um, Why were they going to go to 20 Four civil cases? Was that the plan? Like, we'll just go to every single court? Did they think that they were going to be able to get out of every single they, one? They meaning, they meaning Deshaun's side or Busby's side? Deshaun's side. Did Deshaun's side say we will go to court for every single one? Wasn't settlement basically going to be the outcome regardless? Or was there a real thought that he was going to go to 24 civil cases in a row? Yeah, I would. That that's hard to fathom. And I think, you know, a settlement makes sense for a lot of reasons. Um, it makes sense in this case um, because you know while each of the um, while each of the victims have separate stories, um, there are some some similarities I would say between them. So if you settle one for you know an amount that is uh, not yet been an amount and maybe some stipulations that have not yet been made public, then it would make sense to settle all of them. And I know it's not about the money, but these are civil cases, and that is what. That's Simple. what the currency is, for lack of a better way of saying it. For criminal, it's is there jail time or not. For civil, it's is there money or not. And in this case, uh, obviously there is. It was uh, the agreed upon amount was was okay enough to settle twenty of these, and we will see if the final four gets settled. But to answer your question, like I, I think a settlement has always made sense if everyone could, you know, find the right terms to do it. And the fact that they got so close last October at least had me thinking that this would be the eventual outcome. We've learned a lot since last October Mm -hmm. about Deshaun and everything in there, and I'm not sure the court of public opinion would ever change, and I wonder if that's why they decided to settle uh, or if it was just so much evidence against it that was just like, hey, this all seems to be boom, boom, boom. The NFL, happy about what happened though here, right? Not happy that it happened as a whole. These are very serious allegations. Right, it's right. terrible that somebody in the NFL is being alleged know, doing these things. Yeah, but I want to make sure if people hear this out of context, they don't think right, that right. that's the case. So I gotta. But this Go is good for all parties here, I think, right? Uh, I think so. I mean, assuming that if the if the victims accepted the settlement, then I would say take that at face value and say that as an outcome that at least they are monetarily okay with. Nobody wants any of this to happen. I'm not saying any of this is good. It is all bad, and this doesn't make We it concur. Okay. We concur, yeah. Uh, yes, but the fact that, you know, they reached a settlement means in some ways it is, you know, okay for the victims. I think for Deshaun Watson and his side, this made sense to move on. Uh, now, he has been, you're right, steadfast in proclaiming his innocence. Um, I know he has been very consistent throughout, but, you know, at least this basically will end one chapter of this, right? I mean, assuming the other four get settled at some point soon, you know, this will stop this right here. And then after the, you know, discipline is served, then there will be no more, 
I don't like to say loose ends, but I don't know another way to describe it. No more, you know, more, outstanding yeah. situations to monitor. This will simply end. All right. We will continue to keep an eye on everything, awaiting the NFL's ruling for how many games he will be suspended from the NFL. Biggest contract in the history of the NFL, which is the biggest league on earth. Uh, one chapter coming to a close. We'll see what happens in the next one. We can't thank you enough for making time out of your beach day to chit-chat with us about the biggest story that has happened in a couple months. Ian Rappaport. Thank hey, you. Hey, hey. Us now is a man who is a uh, golf insider for Golf Digest, I believe. Mm-hmm. A man who broke the news this morning that at the meeting at the Travelers, uh, Jay Monahan said that there will be eight tournaments uh, this upcoming fall that only top 50 players of the OWGR are able to play in, and each will have $20 million in purses, which is more than any other tournaments. That's another $160 million they offered up for purses, just like that, because a little bit of pressure from the Live uh, Golf Tournament. Feels like all parties are benefiting from this. With more information from the inside, a man who's been friends with a U.S. Open champion basically since he was in high school, Dan Rappaport. What's up, dude? How are you doing? How you doing? It's drama. Drama, drama, drama. Hey, it's controversy, but it's good for golf. This eight tournaments with $20 million purse that the PGA just announced is massive for all the golfers, right? And where does this money come from? They've just been sitting on this for the last 50 years, Dan? <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure where the money comes from, but I do want to clarify. So these eight events, it's not going to be this fall. It's going to start next year. And I actually think it's going to be uh, someone from the tour reached out to say that it's going to be spread out um, um, around the year. It's not just going to be in the fall. So there's going to be basically at the end of the FedEx Cup season, you're going to qualify for eight events for the next year uh, that are going to be 50 players, which is, you know, the live events are 48 players. And they're going to have 20 or $25 million purses, which are going to look a lot like the live events. So I think some of these will be new events that come up. Maybe there'll be someone, some in the fall that'll be like around the world and Australia and Asia. But I think the other events will be probably more money into existing events. So like some of the bigger events on the PGA Tour, because obviously they don't have the majors, but they have big events like at Riviera or like Jack Nicholas's tournament, Arnold Palmer's tournament. Instead of trying to start all new tournaments, they can sort of use the legacy of those tournaments, right, in the history, and then pump money into them and make them bigger purses with less players and more more elevated than they already are. So are the golfers on the PGA saying thank you to Greg Norman, Phil, and Dustin Johnson, and Brooks Kepka and Kevin Na, and Sergio Garcia, who said that this is why they were going to do what they are doing? Now, aside from getting nine figures guaranteed to them. They also said they wanted to change the PGA. This has certainly done such a thing, right? This is a massive change for the PGA Tour that all golfers will benefit from probably forever now? Definitely. Definitely the stars. I'll say the stars will definitely benefit. And that's sort of, you know, the way I've described this is like golf has sort of been hit in the face with a really cold, unforgiving case of capitalism, right? That's just what this is, right? Like the guys who are between 100 and 200 in the world rankings are great golfers. A lot of them are really nice guys. They're just not bringing that much attention to the game. But those guys have been benefiting kind of on the coattails of the other guys for a lot of years. That's sort of been the – I mean, think about it when Tiger was there. Like if Tiger left the PGA Tour in 2007, the PGA Tour would have collapsed. So he was basically paying the bills for 100 guys. Now that money's being funneled more and more uh, to the top. And look, I've had a lot of players who I've talked to, guys who aren't going – who they're just sitting back there, and a lot of them send me that same meme with the popcorn because they're just loving it. They're sitting back, they're watching all this drama, and they're like, yeah, we're just going to get more money at the end of this. That's really what it is. I mean, if you're one of these young guys who's not going, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Matt Fitzpatrick, Scotty Scheffler, you're watching all this drama play out. Everyone's telling you how good of a guy you are for not really doing anything, and you're going to get a lot richer. 
Yeah, but not as rich as somebody getting 100 M's. <laughs> do you think they're, like, do you see a day where one of these young guns who are trying to protect the PGA Tour, because if they protect the PGA Tour, then their legacies will be fairly and accurately judged against all the greats of the past, which is a massive thing in the golf world. But who, you think these guys are going to continue to say no to nine-figure signing bonuses whenever live guys are going to continue to be able to play in the majors? Do you think that'll become a thing with the PGA's competition and raising the purse at these eight events? I think, I actually think the PJ Tour is finally starting to take enough steps in the right direction where these guys won't feel as much pressure to do it. Because like, if you look at the numbers, <clears throat> if you look at how much money you can make on the PJ Tour with all these new events and with the FedEx Cup, which is only going up and up and up, and there's all these new bonus programs now, like the, the money's not going to be all that different. One of the ones guaranteed. So yes, I guess if Colin Morikawa, you know, tore his knee up he wouldn't get his money from the pj tour but like injuries aren't that big of a risk in golf a lot of these guys know that they're going to be around for 20 30 years they're not willing to risk the reputational hit if they feel like okay maybe i'm giving up five or ten million dollars and not you know 50 million dollars um but yeah i think you know what you said earlier is 100 percent right this has knocked the pj tour off its high horse they realize that they can't just coast and they're going to have to listen to some of these guys um when they say look give us more money Give us this, give us that, and and now they're starting to get the answers that they want. I think this is good for golf, Dan, and I can't thank you enough for joining us, and all your reporting has been fantastic, even though I assume there is some people over your head asking you not to report <laughs> everything the way that you're reporting them. So we appreciate the hell out of you uh, kind of you know, floating in the water. I'm, so. I'm doing what I can. Yeah, I'm doing yeah, what yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do because you're friends with a lot of these guys, but the league that uh, you know has basically made you your business is uh, in the middle of real competition right now. Excited to see how it plays out. Can't thank you enough, Dan. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Rappaport. Hey, While we're on with Dan Rappaport and learning that incredible piece of information about the PGA Tour answering Liv's, you know, fight in this entire golf supremacy game, there has been breaking news out of the NFL. A man who has been described as having toilet seats for hands. Mm. A man that we have called a nimble Clydesdale, a man who is a ninja on the field while being taller, faster, and more powerful than everybody else, has officially retired from the NFL. Now, this would be his second retirement, mm. but this one seems like it's a little bit more steadfast than the one from the past. Rob Gronkowski officially retiring from the NFL via a Jordan Schultz report tweet. Now, the future first ballot Hall of Famer won four Super Bowls while earning a spot on the NFL's 100th anniversary team and the 2010s All-Decade team. An all-time great officially hangs him up at 33 years old. Congrats to Gronk on both chapters of his career, both whenever he came into the NFL with the New England Patriots and asserted dominance quickly with how damn fast he was, how quick he was, and his football IQ being on a completely different level than anybody would ever give him the credit for. Then whenever he retired dabbles in the sports media world, does well, comes back with Tampa, has a legendary tale about him training in different shirts one mm. day, so he tells Tampa he's been working his ass off, loses 15 to 20 pounds to get back in shape, then goes on to score two touchdowns in another Super Bowl, do his thing in an entire another city. Congratulations to Western Pennsylvania high school grad, <laughs> Buffalo native, Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, baby, oh. Rob. 
we're all very lucky to watch Gronk play. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're all very lucky to kind of see Gronk be Gronk and never change from being Gronk and Gronking around at all times. Uh, I'm pumped for the guy. I can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah, I mean, probably goes down as the greatest of all time, even though he didn't I think play so. as long as some other guys. He was on the NFL's. Uh, he was one of the only active players that went on the all-time yeah. 100th anniversary mm -hmm. team. He was out there with Tom wearing the jacket, and then he comes back out and plays. And there's other tight ends that have incredible numbers and have done great things. Gronkowski just he's a road grader mm -hmm. as well as the number one option for Tom Brady basically throughout the entirety of his career. There's obviously George Kittle and Kelsey and Ditka and Gonzalez and everybody from the past. I don't want to leave anybody off there. Gates is obviously mm -hmm. in the conversation and Witten and Mercedes Lewis is about mm -hmm. to play yeah. 18 <laughs> years at tight end. But I think Personally, I view him as the best football player I've seen live because of what he's been able to do and how big, how fucking big he is versus compared to everybody else. Yeah, he's definitely the most decorated out of all those guys that you just listed. Like, he won four Super Bowls. He scored in every single Super Bowl that he played in, too, I believe. Uh, except for the Rams. He set them up at the one-yard line to basically Over win the that shoulder there, yeah. That, yeah. And that was the only touchdown that got scored that game. But, I mean, he was obviously a legend for the Patriots. In well. the biggest moments, Rob Gronkowski yeah. made the biggest plays. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, Julian Edelman has that scoop sure. against Atlanta mm -hmm. that people will remember forever. Mm -hmm. But it felt like in the big games, whether it's just the playoffs or um, home field clinching or something, Tom Brady was looking for Rob Gronkowski. Oh, yeah. Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. Probably not greatest quarterback of all time if he didn't have Rob Gronkowski in his life. I assume he will go on to say that at some point. Mm -hmm. And although Gronk is super relaxed and chill and ha-ha, I've heard the way he practices is 100 miles an hour, full go, finishing every single fucking rep. He's admirable at practice off the field and on the field. I'm a big fan of the big son of a bitch, and I'm happy he's hopefully found happiness and contentment in retiring mm -hmm. for good and doing his thing in his next step. Congrats to fucking Gronk. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, there are other guys, but I think he was like one of those guys who really accelerated like what – the top tier tight ends are doing right now where like he is an incredible blocker but you could also like split him out wide and like i mean he like i said like jimmy graham kelsey some of those other guys who are around there but like he really did like accelerate what a lot of these guys are doing now and obviously immense amount of credit for belichick and josh mcdaniels mm -hmm. whenever they decided remember when he was lined up goal line and then they would just flank him out yeah and it was like all right who you put on him a corner no put a linebacker on him no, put a safety on him. Whatever it was, Tom, they would just flank him yeah. out. It would be one-on-one, -on -one, and it was an immediate, well, that if guy. it's a small body, we're just going to throw it up high. If it's a big body, he can shake him and get inside of it. And if it's a safety, we'll just run a little out so he can body him and speed him. I mean, it was an unstoppable thing at the goal line, and I assume Tom Brady had thoughts about it and Gronk had thoughts about it, but what McDaniels and Bill and Tom and then even towards the end there uh, down in Tampa, the way he had been used – uh, is, like, perfect, it felt like. Yeah. He was the guy at all times. And uh, what a joy to fucking watch. I'm going to miss him on a football field. I feel like Gronk, comparable, was like Shaq in the NBA. Bingo. Bingo. Never been talked about as greatest player of all time. Most But dumb. unstoppable one. Yeah. Yeah. But unstoppable. And I've seen some, obviously, against the Colts. He has some legendary moments. Of course. 
but I've seen him pick up one of my friends uh-huh. and block all the way to the toss him out the club. Yeah, yeah. all the way to the sideline uh-huh. too. Wasn't scared to get dirty in there. Mm-hmm. No, that's why I thought. I mean, with the running block, obviously, and the pass catching. But he, as much as he got hurt, his ability to come back from the back surgeries and the elbow and the knee was incredible too. Uh, Rob Gronkowski's Instagram has made it official. His statement, if we can zoom in there. <laughs> Here we go. In college, I was asked to write about a dream job opportunity that I wanted to pursue and where the location would be. Every time I had to go write about my future, no matter what, I picked being a professional football player. For that assignment, though, we had to pick the location. So I wrote that I wanted to play in Tampa Bay for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for many reasons, the sunny weather being number one. I completely forgot about writing this report until two years ago when I had the opportunity to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And let me tell you, the journey in Tampa over the last two years has blown away what I originally wrote about in college, big time. And for this, I want to thank the entire whole, the whole entire first-class Buccaneers organization for an amazing ride, trusting me to come back to play and help build a championship team. I will now be going back into my retirement home, walking away from football again with my head held high, knowing I gave it everything I had, good or bad, every time I stepped out on the field. The friendships and relationships I've made will last forever, and I appreciate every single one of my teammates and coaches for giving everything they had as well. From retirement, back to football and winning another championship, and now back to chilling out, thank you to all buccaneers fans the crew without you guys none of this is possible all of you brought it every game thank you for all you do cheers to what's next maybe sailing the seas Whoa. Oh. oh no pirate captain gronk being a pirate here we go first tom and now Gronk, they both retired. No mention of the Patriots in either one. No, well, he retired, he, he from, retired from the Patriots. Well, he gave I, I appreciate it. I don't know. No. Yeah, you. He did kind of spit in your face a little bit. Ah, uh, you know. No, I'm who joking. Gives I'm a joking. Fuck. He did. He was talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is just like what Tom had to do because they already retired from the Patriots a couple of different times and left the Patriots. Whatever the case. Happy for Gronk. Today's video is. Sp- Excuse me. Today's show is sponsored by the best ticket app on planet Earth and the Moon. How oh, yeah, Sea Geek show, not video. This is your weekly reminder that listeners of this show get ten percent off at the link in our description. The Stanley Cup Finals are still going on thanks to the yeah. Boach. Go Boach. Yeah, baseball is doing what baseball does. Plus, there are concerts happening all summer long. Get tickets to it all on Sea Geek. Their seating chart will make sure you're getting the best value. Every single time. Just remember to hit the link in the description of this show next time you buy some tickets. Mailed it. <laughs> Had it, baby. What were the talking points right before you read that? Uh, the talking points right before I read it was uh, the first two words. Instead of saying the second word, say show. <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> you came in so confident, too. Uh, well, I was, this I, video, and then you got so disappointed, it kind of ruined the mood of the entire read. Well, it ruined my mood, for sure. I mean, I love talking about baseball, and here we yeah, are. Yeah, but hey, team sports, sometimes you're going to fuck up. you got to bounce back. You can't yeah, let that exactly. second word affect the thirds all the way. You kind of did. No, I rolled through it. What no, are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no fucking it, flop. No, there was a flop. <laughs> there was no flop. There was a defeatist attitude in that entire thing there was no defeatist attitude shout out to sea geek by the way how could you feel like a defeatist whenever you got fucking sea geek on it they've been the greatest for a long time o'neill o'neill cruz yeah oh yeah he'll be gone that's what i said he's named after paul o'neill too yankee legend yankees will have this guy in three years three years 
Probably by the end of this year. Maybe. I saw a highlight on the internet of this guy. You're a high, you put a highlight on the internet and you're a Pittsburgh Pirate. You are no longer a Pittsburgh Pirate. <laughs> Bye-bye. In his you, first game, he recorded the hardest thrown ball uh, from like an infield position ever. Yeah, I heard he... He's got an absolute hose. Six, seven. Yeah. Shorts. Six, need, seven shortstop? Yeah, might need to move to the outfield, but... Why? Six, seven. The guy's fucking... That beast, that's big. Back issues. He's bending over a lot. You need that guy just standing up, catching fly balls. We don't need. <laughs> Maybe him. put him at first. Yeah, but Robin he's Holmes. good athlete. Very good. Oh, athlete. so we're wasting it. Let's go put him out in center field. Very fast. We'll have him playing catcher in no time. <laughs> <laughs> no, destroys knees. Kendall's uh, Kendall's there. He ain't gonna let that happen. Yeah, Jason Kendall's back with the team, right? Yeah, I think so. Who knows? The Pirates suck. They're not in the cellar. Huh? They're not in the cellar. We're about to sell this guy, and we'll be fucking done. All right, that's the show, dude. We talked about a lot today. Oh, yeah. yeah. We had brain conversation. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Pretty good brain convo. Yeah. Very good. A lot of breaking news. Yeah. Yep. I mean, today was a big-time day. Yeah. The golf. Dove deep. Zeke and Alliance. And PGA yeah. Tour. We, we did Zeke and Alliance. Yeah. Yep. Freege stopped by. There's my younger Isn't brother. Crazy. Rap sheet with four guests today. Four guests. There's, wow. That's no joke. All right, look at us. Huh? Here we go. Oh, Sports. Hell of a Tuesday in June. Hashtag PMS Hell of a Tuesday. <laughs> hell yeah. Take a screenshot right now. Or now. Or now. Oh, you should bounce around. Or now. Say something nice to somebody. Put your cash tag in there. And you can be one of 10 winners of 599 bucks. Wow. wow. Maybe 15 winners. Wow. What? Really? Whoa. Maybe 20 winners. No, 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 no. All right, 10. Okay, okay. All right. perfect. Now 15. Okay. Right, 15 winners of 599 bucks will be randomly selected for those that had a screenshot from just moments ago. Their cash tag and said something nice to somebody. It is a hell of a Tuesday. We need a little bit more positivity. Let's continue to try to live our best lives because guess what? You only get one shot at this thing. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So be nice to people. Let's keep it moving. We'll see you manana with more sports talk. And AJ Hawk will be off the fucking vacation he takes every other day. <laughs> About time. Allegedly. We're off on Friday. Mm-hmm. Wow, we're kind of bums, I guess. We just kind of went after him, and then we're taking off a day. No, 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 it's different. He just took off a day last week and the week before that. You're right. We're not taking six-day weekends like some interns do. <laughs> exactly. It's just one day. But we are taking off one day, and then if we have a... That's July 4th. That, that That's count. pre-planned. We yeah, got a yeah. Deal. That doesn't count. Then we got a deal going. That whole deal going on at the thing. Right. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you yeah, got yeah, a laser. Yeah, NFL's off. So. so what are we supposed to do? Yeah. All right, we're back tomorrow. You are the best. Hashtag PMS, hell of a Tuesday. Because that's what it was today. Hopefully we'll have an incredible Wednesday as well. Cheers.